WAPG Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 291. Listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from Studio 1A in the APG Headquarters building in Roswell, Georgia. In today's episode, lots of aviation news, accidents, incidents, and other interesting things to talk about. Of course, uh, your feedback and the latest Plane Tales installment against all odds. So, Get all settled in, tray tables and seat packs in their upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on, flight 291 is ready for pushback. Hello everyone and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's a place where like-minded folks hang out every week to talk about the latest news in the aviation industry with an emphasis on the operations world and a lot of the uh, airline stuff and uh, also just to answer a bunch of your questions about our jobs our careers etc and uh, and then of course the most important thing and the best thing about the show is that we're just here to have fun and entertain you if we can and helping me to do that joining me from across the pond we have the venerable Captain Nick Anderson, former RAF pilot, R-A-A-F. Did I put too many A's in there? I think I did. Royal Australian Air Force pilot and a photographer and so many more things. Great to have you with us, Captain Nick. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. I was just counting them myself. Royal Auxiliary Australian Anonymous Air Force. <laughs> oh, okay, then I was right then. R-Triple-A-F. <laughs> Uh, it's great to be on board again. Thanks very much indeed. Uh, sitting here as your one of your co-hosts today, and it uh, looks like we've got a great uh, lineup of stuff to talk about. And uh, yeah, thanks very much indeed for having me with you again. Oh, it is all our pleasure for sure. And speaking of pleasure, we have from just on the other side of town from where I am right now, a uh, former ACME first officer, actually uh, ACME regional captain first officer and uh, he's a big hog rider harley davidson driver and of course uh, now currently a first officer for acme mainline and soon to be captain captain dana colton hey good afternoon good morning wherever you are uh, great to be here today and uh Jeff, you really need to stop talking about my hog in that way, but that's okay. <laughs> I have a very big red hog. Well, I enjoy riding, but that's uh, so, anyways, <laughs> more than we wanted to know, actually. Thank you. No, we're talking about my motorcycle. Oh, of course, now. yes, yes, of course. But uh, great to be here and looking forward to an unbelievably awesome show today. Uh, really, uh, really fun to be here at home for change in the home studio. So it's uh, nice to be able to enjoy this. Uh, to do the podcast for change. So. Excellent, excellent. Now you'll note that uh, the the lovely Dr. Steph is not with us. She is, let's see, last weekend she ran the Berlin Marathon and then she's been in Japan for 
the last several days and of course uh completely out of whack as far as uh you know matching up time zones and that kind of thing so she's probably blissfully asleep as we record today's show we miss her but i'm sure that uh, we'll we'll hear from her again uh, on the next episode hopefully although i don't know when does she get back she's going to be in chicago for the chicago marathon so maybe we won't hear from her next time i don't know well, I think uh, as long as her feet hurt, don't hurt too much. Hopefully, we will get something out of her. Uh, I was uh, texting her earlier as I was walking the dogs, and she was uh, just finishing up her evening meal and then going to bed. So, uh, yeah, it, they have what, eight or nine hours difference from here. I'm not quite sure where it is from your side. Must be closer to twelve or thirteen. So, uh, yeah. I think it's I think it's thirteen. But uh, I'll tell you what, that sushi that she was showing us pictures of was quite delightful. Oh, golly, yes. I, I, my mouth was salivating looking at that. How good that the ben, bento box, or the, what'd you say? Was it, you said box bento? Yeah, I, I was trying to do it. Now I do the backwards uh, box bento. Yeah, bento box. I, I used to, uh, I used to get those on the aircraft uh, if there are any left over because I love them because it was it's having one of those is like opening a a little surprise box you don't know what you're eating until you get it in your mouth and even then you're not sure what it was <laughs> it's like a tre- it's like a treasure trove i mean the, the taste just bursts in your mouth they, they sushi is just such a, a fantastic thing and what she was showing us pictures of I mean, I, I had to. It was, I was just waking up. I had to go to the gym this morning, and I was looking at that, and I had to go raid the refrigerator. It was oh my god, I got so hungry. Yeah, looked delightful. Well, uh, so what have you been up to lately, uh, Dana? Well, I just came back from another uh, four day trip. I had an unusual experience. I had the the distinct uh, honor of flying with the same captain two weeks in a row. So we, we really got into a really nice groove. We knew exactly what each other's uh, strengths, weaknesses were, you know, mostly strengths, uh, and what the preferences are. Of course, as a as a first officer, you always have to be uh, aware of being a good chameleon, that is doing what you can do to make the, the captain's job and uh, a little bit easier and make him look or her look better. Um, so he had me uh, doing all the PAs, uh, a lot of captains prefer to do them themselves. Um, and, you know, it just, it really actually is something I miss when you get to fly with the same person, uh, you know, week after week, because you get to really get into a groove and, and it's never, a, you know, the same questions. Every time you, you, you get into the, the flight deck, it's always, well, how many kids do you have? How long have you been married? Where do they go to school? And, uh, you know, what are your hobbies? Every time you get into the, the flight deck, you're asking the same questions of, of the new guy or girl that you're flying with. So I really enjoyed that. It was it was nice and relaxing. Um, we you know were able to be professional uh, and follow checklist and do everything uh, per per our procedures and had a good time doing it. It there was really no stress involved. So I uh, had uh, an unbelievably long layover in Chicago. I walked almost nine miles. I had to look at my iPhone watch and figured it out uh, this morning. And I was wondering why my knee was hurting so bad. Um, but got had an unbelievable architecture tour on the Chicago River. I had never been on a boat in Chicago. Perfect weather, a little warm, uh, but it was uh, very enjoyable. Learned a lot about the city. Of course, I already knew this, but the Windy City is not because it's windy there, but there's long-winded politicians 
uh, way back in the early 1900s that got its name. Really? But, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's know. one of the stories. Yeah, it, it was the, the politicians would get up and they would go on and on about nothing. That's kind so, of like our show, actually. We well, I was going to say. The Windy Podcast. We have a new show. The Windy Podcast. Yeah. The Windy Podcast. So, yeah, that's 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 where it came from. And then, uh-huh. uh, you know, a lot of, uh, didn't know this, but uh, the first uh, skyscrapers were built in Chicago. So, that's why the city is known as being uh, the skyscraper capital of, of the United States. And they're still experimenting. They have a lot of different architects coming in with a lot of different styles, even building to this day. A lot of interesting, a uh, lot of interesting architecture. It's one of the things I, I happen to enjoy is, is, is walking around and looking at architecture. So. Very. So um, you, you wanted, you always wanted to pretend to be an architect. I, yeah, I always did. I mean, I actually took it in college and, and it's one of my favorite courses. I mean, when, when we. Wasn't that George's uh, famous uh, saying? Why did you tell her I'm, I'm a marine biologist? I have always wanted to pretend to be an architect. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Thank you. Talking about Costanza. Yes. George Costanza. Yes. Yeah. I've been compared to Costanza. I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's a lovable character, Dana, just as you are. Yeah. Well, there's only one difference. I can't say that on air between George and I. Okay. Well, good. Well, there's two differences actually. I can hold on a job and something else about women, but anyways, um, yeah, so it was it was it was a very nice uh, last two weeks, uh, despite the fact that I was flying uh, in the evening. I haven't done the late night shift in, in quite a while, but still uh, an easy trip. Both both trips, just the way they were designed, um, and I just had a really good couple of weeks. Just really came home from from work, not stressed and uh, relaxed. Excellent. It was a nice change. Very very good. Um, Captain Nick, you've been doing anything recently? No, I've been enjoying a quiet time. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, came back from uh, wherever it was I'd been. I think it was probably New York. Uh, that was my last trip and uh, had a couple of free days. I think we did a show. And uh, then I uh, girded my loins uh, to become one of the great unwashed and um, head out uh, on a bucket and spade flight to Italy just for uh, a little while of uh, relaxation with my lovely wife. Um, She booked some beautiful hotels for us. Uh, This was all part of uh, a little celebration of our 40th wedding anniversary. So she said, uh, we're going to Italy. I'm going to do all the booking. So I went, okay. <laughs> and to be fair, she uh, she didn't go overboard. We, we did stay in some lovely spots, though. Uh, first night uh, in Naples and um, a superb hotel who – uh, they must have got a hint from the travel agent. I think that this was a special event for us because they upgraded our room. Uh, we ended up in a beautiful room with, uh, you know, double everything. Uh, you know, they was we had an entire bathroom each and um, a couple of bottles of uh, fizz uh, on ice waiting for us and some beautiful uh, fruit and stuff, uh, which was absolutely lovely. So um, met up with an old uh, Navy friend of mine who used to be my next door neighbor he works out uh, in naples uh, with nato so he'd just come back from uh, poland on some kind of a nato exercise and uh, he was back in town so he and his wife uh, showed us around naples the next day and then we uh, headed down the coast uh, 
um, down to a nice little quiet seaside area where we were in a hotel up on the hillside, a very rustic place, uh, quite pleasant though. Uh, and then we slowly moved our way back up towards uh, Naples, um, you know, seeing the sights as we went, looking at the fabulous ruins uh, that uh, exist. If you're at all interested in uh, the history, particularly obviously of the Roman period, then uh, just fabulous. I and, mean, you know, topped off by uh, a day in um, Pompeii uh, where we saw the uh, the incredible work they've done there to uh, find that city from under the huge um, volcanic explosion there was. Uh, um, I'm, I think it's probably about two or 300 BC. I don't know. And it was about 2,000 years ago anyway. So, you know, it, it, just, uh, it just sometimes blows the mind how much, uh, um, you know, went on and that fact you can walk the same streets that these people did 2000 years ago. I, I, I found it quite in, inspiring. So that was good. Um, came back uh, late last night. Uh, uh, it was quite funny because um, my uh, son's girlfriend had volunteered to take the afternoon off so that she could get the dogs back in from the family they were staying with and uh, sort of turn the heating on in the house, etc. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we were still in Italy, and uh, Dilly got a telephone call. She said, oh, no answer in that. I don't know that. It turned out it was the alarm monitoring company. <laughs> this uh -oh. poor lass had not been able to turn off the alarm, and it had uh, gone off and off, I should say, when she came in the house. So that was a bit of a nightmare. And um, then she went out, to, having sorted that out, she went out to walk the dogs and locked herself out of the house. So... <laughs> She had to. Oops. She had to break in <laughs> to get back in again. <laughs> so, you know, when we got home, there was there was a broken window, and uh, we always it's very sweet of her to help out. But we went, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so very sweet of her to help out. We won't need your assistance next time. We're <laughs> no, no, she's much too nice for that. No, she loved it. And uh, when I got home, I found a real treat. Uh, hang on a minute. There we go. So um, I'm only reaching behind me to get this uh, fabulous model now. Those of you on the podcast won't be able to see that, but those of you on the video will. Uh, I've got this beautiful model here uh, of uh, a fabulous uh, 43 Squadron uh, FG1 Phantom um, in uh, 43 Squadron colors, and the um, airframe of, is uh, F Foxtrot, and the... Uh, registration is uh, X-ray Victor 582, which is absolutely correct. And this was uh, or depicts the Phantom that I uh, flew, had my name on when I was uh, a pilot on 43 Squadron. And it's uh, it's just absolutely gorgeous. And for that, and the F-18 model, which might need a little bit of TLC. Luckily, um, Lucas Diamond, who very kindly dispatched these all the way from New Zealand, uh, who built them here with his own fair hands, uh, have included a, uh, a, apparently a tube of glue <laughs> in the box. So uh, the F-18 just needs to have its uh, bottom glued back on so it'll sit on its stand. Uh, it didn't quite survive as well as the Phantom did. But uh, the thing I love about this model is not only is it beautifully made, but it's not done... Uh, like the aircraft just came out of the factory it's it's um, sort of distressed a bit and and uh, got 
the grubby bits just where it you would expect you know sort of where the engine is filthy hands have gone over it and uh, it looks like an aircraft you know, looks just like the aircraft as it did when we re really flew them so th they weren't all bright and shiny um they they were working machines uh working war machines and uh we use them every day and they obviously got dirty and that's exactly what this looks like it's a beautiful model so uh thank you very much indeed lucas i shall be writing to thank you as well but uh, it's also got a lovely plaque on each one um this says raf fg1 number 43 squadron the fighting cox gloria finis which was our squadron motto with glory to the end so huge thanks uh, to you for that, Lucas. I received a model as well, and mine was actually worn too, very much like the way it was when I flew it. Um, because when I'd fly these airplanes, if you're watching the video, uh, you know, I kind of, uh, it was a lot of wear and tear on these airplanes. Um, <laughs> golly. So, so yours, <laughs> yours fared much better than mine. Um, and I don't know if it was the uh, New Zealand Postal Service or the U.S. Postal Service. I have a feeling it was the U.S. Postal Service that mangled the box that this came in. Oh, <laughs> I was horrified oh, when I opened wow. it up. First of all, Lucas, wow. I mean, this is, as Captain Nick just said, uh, he he did this, the Flying Kiwi, did this from scratch. These aren't like models you buy in a box and you glue them all together. These are all like hand-carved, I think. Um, and uh, so... Here's the uh, plaque uh, from uh, you know my uh, unit in the uh, Air Force, the uh, 86th MAS uh, C-141B Starlifter. Uh, we were the VD Squadron. Uh, no, no, you're VD <laughs> Squadron. Wait, no, wait, look, really? look at our motto. See really? the plaque. Look at the plaque. <laughs> Versatile, dependable. That's what VD yeah. stands for. Now get your mind out of the gutter. All right. So <laughs> I was I, around the world. <laughs> I got this a couple of weeks ago and I was really, I did not want to let Lucas know that this thing came in this condition. But anyway, it's not really, it, it's definitely repairable. Uh, I, the little thing of glue that he said he had in the box. Well, apparently that was something that uh, was confiscated by the postal service. So I'm going to have to uh, go out and get some kind of uh, aviation airplane or airplane model glue and put this whole thing back together. But uh, so, you know, it just had, you know, the right wing broken off and a couple of the number three and number four engines were uh, also, but it's all there. So I can't wait to get this thing yeah. back into the uh, beautiful shape that it was in when he packed it up and sent it to me. Jeff, do you see the irony in what you said about the way it looks and, you know, and the function of it and was missing a wing and yeah. missing the tail? That's exactly why I said it that way. <laughs> okay yeah <laughs> perfect humor all right humor, humor um me. so uh thank you uh flying kiwi lucas diamond for not only uh your handicraft and uh all the time that it must have taken you to do these beautiful models uh but also um thank you for being a patron of the show uh one of our actually in the top tier of uh, patronage for the show and uh, we uh, we just really are blessed that you're out there uh, a listener and a contributor so uh, thank you very much for that absolutely and mine is going to sit uh, on top of the attitude indicator that I rescued from uh, an F4 before they were all scrapped and it'll be part of my little uh, phantom you know ego corner so thanks very <laughs> much yeah you know I when I started the show I didn't really have any 
um, airplanes at all. And uh, now uh, so many of you have uh, given me models of various things. You know, Rick gave me the uh, land cargo uh, freighter, the triple seven. I don't know if you can see it. Probably not. It's up above me on the uh, hutch behind me. Um, uh, Pip uh, gave me a a customized Hawker um, 800 model uh, with um, all kinds of new um, markings on it to uh, represent the uh, airline pilot guy show and uh, uh, have some die cast models given to me by various folks. So uh, thank you all of you for doing that. Now I actually have uh, quite a number of uh, models in my love me room. So appreciate that. Um, let's see, I'm going to go on to, oh, just a quick word to, and I believe this name is correct. David Friedman. Uh, I got a call from my youngest daughter, Natalie, um, just a few days ago. And she said, uh, she's calling, she goes to school at Elon university in North Carolina. And she said, well, first of all, dad, I was kind of surprised, you know, I actually got a call from my daughter and not a text. And uh, I thought, oh, I hope nothing is wrong. And she said, uh, yeah, um, uh, there's a girl in my sorority that said, does your dad do an aviation podcast? And she said, uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> she says, well, my dad listens to it. And he asked me, he said, do you know somebody named Natalie Nielsen? And she said, yeah, she's in my sorority. And he said, oh, well, I listened to a show. To, so tell her to tell him that. I really like the show and uh, listen all the time. And I believe his name is David Friedman. Uh, that's from my memory. And I jotted it down. Hopefully I didn't screw that up. But uh, David, um, I salute you. Thank you for listening to the show. And uh, and it's kind of cool that our daughters know each other. Um, let's see. Uh, we had uh, a meetup in Atlanta on, well, a week ago, Friday, Friday night. Remember that, Dana? Yes, it was a it was a fantastic night. Yeah, we had a grand time. It was, uh, yeah, it was well, really good. I'm, we, we did. Uh, I had my phone. I, I, I forgot the uh, XLR cable for the uh, microphone, so I had to use my uh, iPhone to uh, record. And uh, Nev, I know you're, you're listening to this and you're going to say, oh, my gosh, Jeff, uh, what were you thinking? It's completely overmodulated. And I tried to do as much magic and fixing it as I could. Uh, but it's still overmodulated. Once you overmodulate something, it's almost impossible to fix it completely. But you'll get the uh, gist of what was going on at the uh, at the meetup over at the 57th Fighter Group at the Kilo Papa Delta Kilo PDK Airport in Atlanta. And uh, Dr. John and his lovely wife Brenda came down, flew down from Toronto. They were here for a medical convention on Saturday, so on Friday night. A week ago, we got together and it was a very, very large uh, turnout. And we had, as I said, a grand time. So let me play that audio for you. Okay, we are recording, so you have to keep it uh, rated G. Yeah, no more comments about, uh, I can't really say. Okay. I'm going to start with uh, the folks who have come the furthest for this meetup of the APG, wait, Atlanta APG Syndrome Sufferers Society. (laughs) Or as Captain Nick would say, (laughs) us. All right. We'll start with a lovely 
jazz singer and wife of the wonderful Dr. John, Brenda. And now I'm supposed to say something that sounds incredibly intelligent. Is that it? Yeah. Well, well, no. It's it's wonderful to be here. I have never laughed so hard. Met some absolutely lovely people. And looking forward to this next meetup. Great. We are, too. So we're down in Atlanta for the first time, loving uh, the location. Had a nice trip down and uh, meeting all these fine people. So uh, lovely evening and uh, looking forward to doing another APG sometime in the future. I'll find another medical conference to attend, and that'll be my excuse and my uh, entry into another uh, meetup. So looking forward to it. Awesome. So glad. so glad you were able to make it. Would you hand this to this nice young lady? Where... We're, we're coming around the table. Oh, I'm sorry. I pay us. <laughs> it's your turn, darling. <laughs> Thank you, but I'll pass as well. Bless your heart. You're just precious. I just want to say the thanks to uh, Dr. John and Brenda for coming down and getting everybody together um, and uh, passing on to Ray here. What you say? Hey guys, this is Ray, and uh, it's been a great evening here, and it's just ending way too soon um, for us, maybe not for the restaurant. (laughs) I would totally agree with that, and uh, yeah, it is awesome to be out here and meet everybody. This is Chris. Um, Thanks, Captain Jeff, Dana, everybody for uh, coming out tonight, and um, it was a blast. I'm John. This is the first uh, get-together I've been to, and I am totally speechless. <laughs> first off, Sedana here, just enjoying a very pleasant evening and fun night with all the APG folks that came out to join us this evening. And uh, thank you, Jeff, for uh, having us uh, all here this evening and enjoy an unbelievable time. Pass it on to your having a wonderful time here. Can't breathe because I can't stop laughing. <laughs> I, I don't think I have any words for tonight. It's, it's, it's let's be quite speechless. That's, that's really all I've got, yeah. Speechless. Speechless. Do you want to say anything, Brittany? Yes, of course you do. Um, All I can say is this is probably the best ab workout I've had in a long, long time. And last but not least, the flying and life host, Dispatcher Mike. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, everyone. in the community, uh, you know, I've said it before in feedbacks, if you have a chance to come out and do an APG meetup with someone, do it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm thinking about it, probably not a good idea. <laughs> um, I like to thank, uh, this, is all, uh, this is all Dr. Brown's idea for uh, Lennon Snow is going to be here and uh, trying to get us all together. Um, and it, it's been an absolutely wonderful uh, humorous night. I've never seen uh, so, so many people turn so many colors of red uh, <laughs> before. Um, um, it, this was uh, pretty much a good one. So, I'd say pretty much a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So as you can as you can uh, hear, we had a great time. And again, I do apologize for the very very bad sound quality. 
Sounds like you had much too good a time. Oh, no, we had was, a blast. There, Dana, there must have been, what, 15 of us at that table? I think uh, it was 15, 15 or 16, yeah. Yeah. It was, oh, there wow. was a lot of us. And uh, John, John's wife, um, <laughs> she was, she was uh, an amazing character. She had everybody just laughing, uh, you know, as Brittany said, a, a great ab workout because every, everybody was uh, you, laughing. You so guys much. only caught a little bit of it because I was sitting right across from her and she was going the entire night. She is a very funny woman. Do you remember the uh, exactly what that man said as we were getting ready to uh, leave? Uh, they were at a sitting at another table, uh, relatively close by in the same room that we were in, and uh, he walked up. and What did he? Do you remember what what he said, Dana? No, you know what? But whatever, whatever he it said, was, it was- he said either what did he say? Either you you guys are so loud or obnoxious, or he said either either invite me to your party or or I'm gonna do something i shoot i screw up i, I, don't, I don't remember can't. what he said but he was very we were funny. just we, we were just all, just all sitting there cutting up so much and he came and, and said what he said uh, and and i i didn't catch it i, I don't yeah. remember but what, what he said was absolutely hysterical so yeah. we were all he well, should have the been there in the table should yeah have been there should have been there yeah and i get to add a comment i mean the the ability um, uh, that that CD that they that John and his, his beautiful bride shared with us. Uh, what a beautiful voice she has, mm-hmm. and what an amazing pianist he is. It, it was just some, I really we we really enjoyed listening to it. But that was that was my wife commented. She said she hasn't had that much fun in a very long time. Yeah, we uh, we had a blast again. That was at blast. Uh, PDK Absolutely. at the fifty seventh Fighter Group. And uh, it's not the first time we've had a meetup there. In fact, I think it's the third time we've had a, an APG-related kind of an event uh, over there at the 57th Fighter Group restaurant. Uh, great, uh, great location. And uh, But, of course, as we always say, it's not so much, you know, the food and the beer and the location. It's just getting together with uh, folks uh, from the community. And uh uh, had a, the food had was a good too. Yeah, the was, food was actually very, very good. Uh, they, very they didn't good. get you know they kind of screwed up a little bit uh, here and there with some of our orders. Well, it was a stuff. European. It was a European style dinner. Oh, we got they got their salads after. Yeah. The dinner. Well, some didn't even get their salads. So yeah. Well, anyway, okay. uh, but it was it was a good time. Good time. Um, let's see. Did um, I don't think Steph sent in any audio. I have here on my notes Berlin meetup. Of course, Steph met up. With several um, folks over there at uh, uh, Tillman's uh, Circus Hostel uh, Brewery in Berlin, yeah, I, I heard her live on PTUK. Oh, well, I'm yeah. glad that she was able that, to do that. <laughs> well, yeah, for PTUK. What about the APG? Yeah. Well, you know, you're starting to see where we rank amongst the uh, <laughs> aviation shows, and you know, priorities. It's all about priorities, Steph. Absolutely. Uh, let me, let me go through here. I don't think I have any, uh, I don't think she sent me any audio from that. Oh, well. So if you want to hear all about the, uh, great meetup that, uh, Dr. Steph attended at the, in Berlin, uh, head over to the PTUK show and uh, you'll hear all about it. <laughs> yes, you will. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, speaking of like, um, like microaggressions, uh, but this wasn't a microaggression at all. It was a micro meetup. Uh, Jim Schofield, I've met up with him before. He flies, excuse me, he doesn't. Fly, he works for Acme uh, at the ramp up in um, Minneapolis-St. Paul uh, International Airport. And I've, uh, I've seen him a few times. And uh, he contacted me and said, hey, are you going to be 
in Atlanta on Monday because he was flying through. And I said, yeah. Um, so he, uh, he, we met up with each other, had a quick, uh, you know, meet and greet uh, in the concourse A there before I was uh, between flights and, or actually I was just showing up, I guess, for my, for my first flight. And then he was going, coming through. I think he had spent a few days in at Dallas, Fort Worth. And then he was heading through Atlanta on the way to Myrtle Beach for uh, a few days. So I, I think Jim, actually, Jim, are you in the chat room with us right now? I think he said he was going to try to watch the show live. And uh, so if, if you are, hello, and um, hope you're having a, a great time, uh, a grand time on the Grand Strand. Isn't that what they call that area, Dana, in Myrtle Beach, the Grand yes, Strand or something? It is known as the Grand Strand. And it's yeah. probably there golfing. Well, you know what I asked him? Big golfing area. I asked him if he was going to be golfing, and he said he's not a golfer. So I said, wow. well, there's a lot of other things to do there as well. It's a beautiful place uh, along the uh, South Carolina coastline north of Charleston. And uh, anyway, so I just wanted to. I hope, he, I hope he's okay with all the riptides, that, you know, with the hurricane. Yeah, Maria. I think that he said he was going to stay out of the water. So Good idea. I warned him. All right. Uh, so, Jim, hope you're having a great time. Great to see you in Atlanta uh, this past week. And uh, let's see. Oh, I just wanted to mention that it is uh, the International Podcast Day tomorrow. Um, and if you want, if you're a somebody who wants to uh, maybe get into podcasting themselves, not just listen to them, but also uh, you know host your own show or whatever, it's uh, definitely worth checking out. A lot of various podcasters from around the world are going to be filling the uh, the airwaves with uh, related uh, stuff to podcasting. And you can go over to internationalpodcastday.com. Again, that's internationalpodcastday.com and uh, check out their schedule of events and that kind of thing. I just want to throw that out there. Since I've been podcasting since 2009, and uh, so I've been doing it for a little bit. Actually, I was involved in podcasting a few years before that, but uh, 2009 was when I finally got behind a microphone. And a lot of people would say, oh, boy, it all ended there. But uh, anyway, it sure did. Yeah. Um, so check that out. International Podcast Day. Oh, and I almost forgot when I was in uh, San Antonio earlier this week. I think it was this week. Yeah. Wait a minute. Last week. Last week. When uh, I recorded the last show, actually, that's it. Okay, that's why it's in today's show, because uh, after we recorded last week's show, you remember Steve Horn, Captain Horn, was with me um, in the uh, hotel studio. After we finished recording, we uh, headed out to um, the, what was it called? The, well, maybe I'll talk about it in this audio feedback. <laughs> but it was very close, right on the Riverwalk, uh, a very popular place. And uh, after we had some great beer and food, we recorded this. All right, we are in San Antonio, and we just got back from a great uh, dinner over at what was the name of the place oh, we Esquire just went to? Tavern. Esquire Tavern. Okay, that's it. And uh, recorded um, episode two ninety a little bit uh, earlier, and then we went out to uh, uh, the Riverwalk and. Uh, as I said, had some great uh, food, great drinks, great conversation. And so who wants to start uh, with the uh, with the feedback? Jonathan, yeah, you're sure. the one that kind of came up with this crazy idea. Yeah, I'll kick it off. Uh, hopefully Captain Jeff hit the record button. I did? Yeah. <laughs> hey, guys. Uh, Jonathan Turfor from Austin, Texas here. Uh, excited to get the chance to catch up with a couple folks and hang out, have some beers, have some good food. And I think I've... 
miss a bunch of folks by like a day or two recently. I was in New York a couple, like two days after Captain Nick. I was in San Francisco two days before him. I was in DC two days before Nev you, was are there. Are you kind so. of understanding what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I get it. Apparently, uh, Captain Jeff didn't get the memo this time, and yeah. he was stuck having to catch up with me this time. But it was great uh, chatting about airplanes and about audio equipment and all yeah. that, and getting to meet some great new folks. So, uh, I on. Hey everybody, good to talk with you again, Captain Steve. Uh, yeah, great time meeting up with everybody here. Uh, hanging with Captain Jeff recording 290. It's a lot of fun, and I will hand you off to my new first officer. <laughs> hey guys, it's Mike, new first officer, Captain Steve over here. Uh, had a great time going out with the guys today, being captain. And uh, yeah, San Antonio's an awesome town. Is this thing on? Hello. I think so. Is this thing on? Oh, this is uh, this is uh, Captain Rizzo from Austin, Texas. That finally got to meet up with um, Captain Jeff, who decided to ignore all my requests at Oshkosh to come fly our simulators. But um, anyways, I captured him here in San Antonio. I had a great time meeting new people, and uh, unfortunately, I couldn't drink because I have to fly a little Piper Archer back to Austin. But had a great time meeting new people. Hopefully, uh, we get to see each other again soon. You have to know that I flew a bunch of hours in simulators in the Air Force, and when somebody mentions coming out to fly a simulator, that's the last thing I want to do. So. This isn't your. I know, I know, I understand. Air Force so simulator. I, I've been educated. This I've been educated, nothing. and so the next, the next time, if if he asks me again next time, I'll take you up on it. All right. Awesome. So I, I met uh, some I, I, some people I already knew. But I met some really great new people, new friends, and uh, that's what makes this whole thing wonderful. And uh, thanks, everybody, for, for uh, you know, a great evening, and uh, hope to do it again soon. Absolutely. And again, a uh, little noisy in the background. That was a, a street-side uh, location, and uh, it sounds like like big trucks crashing behind us. I'm not sure what all that was about. No, it was, it was just Dana's microphone. <laughs> yeah, it could have been. I do have to say that I have to apologize. This desk that I'm, I'm actually sitting at is so old. If I even touch it, it makes a lot of noise. So I have to keep my hands on my lap and I, I will not touch anything. <laughs> well, that's okay. As long as you mute everything, you can make all the noise wow. you want. <laughs> Now, you're allergic to simulators, aren't you? I am. Jeff, you come out in hives or something? I do, yeah. yeah I just so, uh, yeah. flew a lot of it, uh, a lot of simulator stuff in the uh, Air Force when I was an instructor, and uh, I just, I don't know, it's just not my favorite place. But uh, Nick Rizzo uh, works for uh, Redbird uh, Simulators, and uh, he gave me a lot of information about uh, you know what he does and what the company does and the stuff that they make, and it was very interesting. Uh, by the way, he was on, I don't know if it was the latest one or the one before the latest one, uh, on uh, the Airplane Geeks Aviation Podcast, and they interviewed uh, Nicholas for uh, his efforts in uh, helping with uh, the, uh, the storm or recovery uh, over in Houston, all the flooding and such. Uh, very, very interesting stuff, and uh, a, every single one of them. So it was uh, Steve Horn, uh, Captain Steve um, uh, Linecheck Airman, with his new, brand new first officer, Mike, on his very first trip. 
And uh, let's see. And then, of course, Jonathan Turfbar, who uh, basically set this whole thing up. And I thought he lived in the uh, in the San Antonio area, but he drove down from Austin and Nicholas drove down or actually flew down from Austin uh, to uh, San Antonio for the meetup. And uh, so anyway, the five of us had a fantastic time. And speaking of Captain Steve, you know, he told me when we were recording the last show that he had his microphone with him and he was going to record the latest uh, episode of or installment or whatever you want to call it, uh, the uh, H-I-G-H, How I Got Here. And uh, he did. And he sent it to me. I just received it, I think, yesterday or the day before. And since we're kind of talking about Captain Steve and his uh, wonderful How I Got Here uh, bits, Let's uh, go ahead and play his latest with that guy that we just uh, heard on the um, on the uh, audio from our meetup, Mike. Ladies and gentlemen, from the flight deck, this is your first officer speaking. Uh, welcome aboard to Detroit. It's a great day to fly. Should be expecting a smooth ride at cruise and uh, arriving in Detroit about ten minutes early. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the flight. And uh, this is my first day. What do you say? Hi, my name's Mike. I'm a first officer at Acme Junior. Yes, this is my first day, and this is how I got here. So today was my first day as an airline pilot. I just accomplished my first landing in a in a jet airplane. Kind of scary, actually. Went through three hard months of, of training at the airlines, studying constantly, finished Sims, and uh, had seven weeks off before my IOE. So the night before, I had a hotel room at the airport, checked in, went to the room, and uh, couldn't sleep. It was the, the most nerve-wracking, nervous I've ever been. Uh, didn't know what to expect. I was pretty sure I forgot how to fly an airplane. During those seven weeks, I was able to do observation flights where I was able to sit in the flight deck and just observe what they were doing, which helped, but I still had no idea what I was doing. So they say you need to stay ahead of the airplane, but the entire time I felt like I was hanging onto the tail, metaphorically speaking, of course. So I showed up early to the plane and met with my Czech airman for the trip. We spent a good 30 minutes outside doing a, a pre-flight and things started coming back to me from ground school and, and I wasn't feeling as nervous anymore. So I got in the flight deck. This was the captain's leg. We were flying to Albany. Got in, got myself situated and I was looking around like, what is this? What is that? I have no idea what I'm doing. Oh my God. So we made it to Albany, landed. I'm pretty sure I was still in Detroit. And what do you know? The next leg is mine. So we pull up to the hold short line. Tower comes on and says, cleared for takeoff, fly runway heading. Captain's line lines us up with the runway. Says, your controls. Oh no, I thought to myself. Put the thrust in, rolling down the runway. My knees are shaking on the rudders. Pull back, flying out at 4,000 feet per minute. And I look over at the captain and I say, dude, I'm flying a jet. Oh my God. I couldn't believe it. Oh crap, sterile cockpit below 10,000. Sorry. He laughed, of course. I was almost as nervous as my first solo in high school. I worked at a pizza shop in high school, which allowed me to fly a couple times a month at a mom-and-pop airport just right out of town. Fly November 5207 Quebec. I got signed off for my private pilot license before I ran out of money. I guess enough people weren't ordering pizzas. I wanted to continue aviation after high school, but I couldn't, I couldn't afford it. Nobody would sign off a loan for me, so I just ended up going to a regular college 
getting a degree in energy business finance. Once I graduated college, I eventually ended up getting a job at a desk, eight hours a day, boring, hated it. Most of the day I was actually spending my time on Flight Simulator. I think it was Flight Simulator 10. Had my joystick, popped it out. I would say 50, maybe more than 50% of the time I was sitting there flying a 7.3 or maybe a Cessna 172 on there. I got pretty good at putting it away really quick. I actually almost got fired for it more than once. I just had to get back in the aviation. That's when I started applying for loans, calling mom, calling dad, calling the grandma, trying to get anybody to go sign for me. Still no one would do it. So after a couple years, I finally saved up enough money, got approved, put my two weeks in at work, started in Tulsa, Oklahoma at ATP. I did my training there. I did my instructing there, which leads us to today. So we cruised at 36,000 feet over to Detroit. En route, we were following an Airbus 320, where we were literally in the contrails for the entire flight. The sun was behind us, and we can actually see our shadow in the contrails from the 320 that we were following, which was pretty cool. I've never seen anything like this in my life, flying general aviation airplanes at 6,000 feet. So we did our descent planning, descent check, approach comes on, says, intercept the localizer, you're cleared for the visual. I look over to my right, there's a big old 7.5, I'm like, oh my god. Following the glide slope down, stabilized, managing my power, got my heading straight. All of a sudden, the captain looks over at me and says, dude, you gotta breathe. Oh yeah. I hear 50, 40, 30. I pull the power back to idle. I thought I smacked on the ground, but captain said it was actually a pretty decent landing. Taxi into the ramp, we pull into the gate, Captain shuts down the engines and he says, dude, you got to go claim that landing. I was like, what do you mean? So I get out, get into the galley, hands by my side, holding my knees because they're shaking. Passengers are walking by, sitting there smiling, big smile on my face, first landing ever in a, in a jet airplane. And I'm just thinking to myself, little do they know. I'm First Officer Mike, and this is how I got here. Those are, those are so awesome. <laughs> very nice. That was very good. That was cool about that is that uh, I got a chance to, you know, actually sit next to him and uh, for our dinner at the, uh, I don't know why I can't remember the name of the place, uh, the something club or uh, darn it. Oh, well, the really nice place that we went for. Just means you're getting old. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm just this close to expiring perhaps no no not expiring excalibur was that the name of it jonathan he's uh in the chat room hello jonathan esquire thank you esquire tavern i should write that down all right uh great place great time and uh great uh to hear um the how i got here from uh from mike and uh, steve as always a uh, really awesome job Absolutely. I tell you what, it's nice uh, is to hear someone who is so excited about the job. And obviously, uh, you know, we don't see a lot of that. Uh, I don't know about you, Jeff. I certainly don't. Uh, most of the guys I fly with have been in the business for a long time. And, uh, you know, it's just another day at work. And to uh, it must be great to fly with people who are just so enamored with the job that they can hardly contain themselves. It's great. Yeah, I loved it. When it's got to be I'm flying a jet. Oops. Sorry. <laughs> Sterile cockpit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I, I'll be honest. When I was, uh, I was a new hire mentor at, at Acme, 
with the the new hiring programs, you know, once we started hiring and uh, there was a lot of excitement and still is a lot of excitement because, you know, all the all the majors are pretty much still hiring and, and so on to cargo companies. And it's, it's you know, it, it's a it's a complete feeling of satisfaction when you finally make it to the level that we're at. You know, you spend your whole entire life trying to get here. And, well, now you're here. So the uh, the feeling is, is euphoric. It's the best way I can tell you. I'm I'm so pretty close to it. I mean, I've only been doing it 15 years. It's not that long. And every time I go into work, I really enjoy the fact that I get to put the uniform on and, and go do something I truly love to do and enjoy. So um, I'm not too far removed from that enjoyment still. I mean, that's still the normal grind. But, uh, you know, I see some friends that have recently got hired, and, and it is really, really nice to see see how how happy they are and, and, and um, really enjoying the, the job. It's refreshing. I, I experienced something really interesting uh, what, that I wasn't expecting at all because I've worked, I've worked so hard throughout, well, the point that I realized I wanted to be an airline pilot, and that was what I was going to you know, plan everything in my life for or towards was, uh, you know, obtaining that uh, coveted slot at a major airline. And I almost felt something that uh, was akin to a, a letdown. It was like, oh, okay, I made it. Now all I have to do is just make sure that I don't screw something up and I stay healthy enough to get a medical certificate every six months and I'm good to go. And it was like, Oh, you know, it was like so much work to get there. And then all of a sudden, okay, you made it now what? And, uh, anyway, I'm, I feel very, very privileged and blessed to, uh, to be working for the company that Dana and I work for. And, uh, you know, I, I love it and I'm, and I'm always thrilled to go to work and, uh, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. Well, and, and Jeff, you must, you know, when, when you're at work, you have to fly with some, some newer pilots every once in a while. So I'm sure you, you get that feeling from them, mm-hmm. you know, so you new FOs, right? Yeah. But you, you don't really, as Nick said, you don't really see the, the brand new guys who just came from, you know, flying a 172 to flying right. a jet. I mean, of course, by the time they make it at, into the, uh, our level of airline flying, you know, they've, they've been doing this for a while. They've been flying for the regionals or the, in the military or whatever. So anyway, Great stuff. And, Absolutely. Uh, and another lovely production as usual. Yeah. And, you know, we were just speaking of meetups and I just want to throw this out here very quickly. Hopefully this show will be out in the next day or two. And uh, if you're listening to this audio and you're in the Seattle area, received a uh, just this morning, I believe, um, Mike, who is a first officer for Acme Red, sent this via his uh, smartphone app. He said, I've got a SEA or Seattle layover on Sunday, October 1st. And he says, maybe a little short notice. If there's anyone around that would like a few IPAs, show me the sites. It would be fantastic. And uh, so he gave me his contact information. I guess he wouldn't mind me telling you his contact. Well, I can't see how any, anyone's going to arrange anything with him unless <laughs> yeah. give out the manager. Yeah, you got to be able to contact him. And he is yeah. uh, apparently from Yorkshire. So it, he is the Yorkshire pilot, T-H-E-Y-O-R-K-S-H-I-R-E pilot at gmail.com or on Instagram. He's the Yorkshire pilot. So 
Excellent. Please contact Mike if you're in the Seattle area and you happen to hear this, either the video or you're here with us live, or if you're listening to the audio uh, podcast and uh, it hasn't, that date has not already elapsed. So I th- yeah, just just bear in mind, everyone. He flies bin liners. Okay, so huh? you may not want to go after. All. I don't know. Perhaps. I mean, they can't be as nice as the A three thirty A three forty guys, right? Oh no! I mean, we're kind, generous, happy, go lucky. You know, we drink a lot, we play hard, we live hard. Those Boeing guys just disappear under a rock normally, but Mike might be the exception. You never know. I think Mike's a nice guy. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what we have to live with, Dana. Wow. <laughs> Where's Miami Rick when we need him? We're going to actually uh, hear from Miami. Rock, of course. Please stay tuned because uh, you're going to hear from Miami Rick uh, a little bit later in the show. Poor Boeing. All right. It's time now for the coffee fund. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee, I love tea. I love the Java Java and it loves me. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh yeah. I love coffee, I love tea, I love the APG community. And I know many of you out there listening to the show and are part of the community love it too. Hey, if you happen to have the financial resources to do it, please consider giving some to the Airline Pilot Guy show. And you can do that uh, via the coffee fund and become part of our coffee fund cadre. And since the last show, the coffee fund, coffee fund, coffee, the coffee fund, Fund classic method, we call it. Easy for you to say. No, it's not. It's not easy at all. I don't know what's going on here. Maybe I need to take another swig of uh, hard alcohol. <laughs> um, Steve Trumbell and Jeffrey Felmuth. You ever heard of that guy? Jeff Felmuth, uh, Captain Jeff, uh, sent in their recurring payments uh, via the Coffee Fund classic method. And the other way to participate in the Coffee Fund Cadre is to become a patron via patreon.com. And since the last show, we have a new producer, Andrew Wilson, and two new executive producers, Brandon Begley and Jason Deluzio. And uh, Jason sent me a little note in. He said, uh, just signed up as an executive producer. When you mention my donation, if you could call out Georg Koster for hitting me in the mouth introducing me to the APG podcast he puts in parentheses I would appreciate it if he isn't already I'd like to challenge him to to donate to the coffee fund value for value podcasting is the way to go I love being educated and entertained at the same time and APG nails it thank you Jason for your kind words he also asked me to put him in touch with uh, the pipeline guy Corey that uh, Steph met up with in Charlotte and I did that so those guys are going to get together and you know whatever so up oh, sounds like the song's about to end so I should say head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee to learn more and before I move on to the news segment 
since we're talking about the coffee fund and the coffee fund cadre, one of the perks of the coffee fund is to get the uh, occasional audio uh, snippets, uh, usually around 10 minutes long, although now uh, they might actually end up being a little bit longer. And that's because the way that I used to distribute the um, crew logs, the APG crew logs used to be called the captain's log, is through a service called Audio Boom. Actually, it started out when I when I signed up for the service uh, many years ago was Audio Boo. I never really quite understood Audio Boo, uh, but uh, they changed it to Audio Boom. So I guess that means like it's so easy. You just record your audio and boom, it's out there. And uh, apparently they're kind of going through a change in their uh, business model and uh, they're going to be catering mostly to you know, people like us podcasters, and uh, they are going to a different model, and it's not going to work out anymore with the uh, current way that we're we're doing these uh, APG crew logs. And so we did a lot of thinking about it, or I did actually, and uh, thought the way we're going to do this from going forward is that uh, to get the uh, crew logs, which again is a perk if you give $1 per episode or more, uh, you have to become part of, you have to become a patron on patreon.com and that's patreon.com slash airline pilot guy. And again, or you can just go to the airline pilot guy website and click on the coffee fund and you can find out about it. But uh, what we're going to be able to do now is we're not going to be restricted to a maximum of 10 minutes of our crew logs and we'll be able to do video as well on occasion and uh, to be uh, to, to have access to these. Uh, you're going to need to be on the, uh, the the Patreon system, not the uh, Coffee Fund Classic method. And uh, I can go into a lot of detail about why that is and why it's going to be a much better way for us to do this uh, moving forward. And uh, I do feel bad for those of you who are receiving the um, uh, the, the crew logs via uh, donation, uh, via the Classic method. But uh, this is, I think, the best way that we're going to... Uh, uh, be able to do this moving forward. And uh, I don't know, anything to add to that, uh, Captain Nick? Um, I'm well, perhaps not expressing your... myself. No, no, you're doing fine job. Uh, but of course, we want to keep the cost down so that uh, when, you know, uh, something we've been doing uh, in the past now starts to charge, it becomes uh, economically a waste of money to take that those wonderfully valuable funds that are sent to us in order to pay for the perk you're getting. Well, that doesn't kind of make sense. We need that as funds to go into the uh, coffee bar, not go to another company. So I'm sure people will understand that uh, uh, we need to move this slightly, uh, the system. And uh, I'm sure the, the Patreons will get a lot more benefit out of it because uh, uh, you can spend the first 20 minutes, Jeff, on a lovely video explaining to them <laughs> why it's moved. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I, I did uh, a two-part, um, and that was one of the restrictions that was, you know, I, I was trying to explain this whole thing uh, on a crew log uh, that I put out uh, just a few days back. And uh, then it, I came up against that 10-minute, you know, limit and went, ah, okay, part two coming in a minute. And so I did a two-parter and kind of it went into a little bit more detail than I just did here on the show. Uh, explaining why it is that we're going to move it to this different model, and uh, because of the restrictions now with the uh, the new uh, business model uh, with Audio Boom, and uh, you know it's going to be a little bit more secure as well. Um, and so, 
I know. Uh, I can see already Pip is, uh, oh yeah, Pip said he's quitting the APG now because <laughs> he used to use the classic method via PayPal and, and now he's just learned that he's not going to be able to have access to our crew logs. And, and so we're going to miss you, Pip. Sorry. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, but, you know, really, uh, there really aren't uh, too many reasons not to uh, use Patreon. It uses the same, you know, you fund it the same way uh, via PayPal or credit card or whatever. Uh, anyway, I'm spent, I've spent too much time on it on the show. If you uh, want more detailed information uh, and you have access to the uh, crew logs, please check out the uh, latest couple. All right. That's enough of that. And now it's time to move on to the news. Stand by for Okay, let's start off with this uh, Thompson Airways Flight 1526, a Boeing 737-800, damaged a runway approach light following a long takeoff from Belfast, Belfast, excuse me, Belfast, Belfast International Airport. The uh, aircraft was operated by a Canadian airline, Sunwing Airlines, on behalf of Thompson, on a flight from Belfast to Corfu, Greece. The crew boarded the aircraft, completed their pre-flight preparations before pushing back, intending to depart from runway 7. After pushing back, the ground crew noticed that one of the tires on the nose landing gear was worn, and the aircraft returned to the stand. After both nose landing gear tires had been changed, the aircraft once again pushed back, taxied out for departure. The crew was cleared for takeoff on runway 7 from Taxiway Delta, which gave a takeoff run available, T-O-R-A, of 2,654 meters. During the takeoff, at around 120 to 130 knots, the crew realized that the aircraft was not accelerating normally. They estimated during post-flight interviews that they reached V1 with about 900 meters of the runway remaining and rotated shortly afterwards. The aircraft was seen by multiple witnesses during rotation and took a significant time to lift off before climbing at a very shallow angle. After the takeoff, airport operations staff conducted a runway inspection and a runway approach light for runway 25 was found to be broken. Preliminary evidence indicated that the aircraft struck the light, which was 35 centimeters high, 29 meters beyond the end of the runway in the stopway. After takeoff, the crew checked the aircraft's uh, flight management computer, which showed that an N1 of 81.5% had been used for this takeoff. Uh, This figure was significantly below the required N1 setting of 93.3%, and as calculated by the operator and shown on the pre-flight paperwork. Independent assessments by the AAIB, the Air Accident Investigation Branch, I guess that's what that stands for, um, and operator, showed that only... Uh, The only credible way for this to have happened was for an error to have been made whilst entering the outside air temperature into the FMC. If the top of climb outside air temperature was mistakenly inserted into the OAT field on the N1 limit page, a figure of minus 52 
centigrade as opposed to plus 16, and the correct assumed temperature of 48 degrees was entered, the FMC would have calculated the target takeoff N1 of 81.5%. It appeared that the FMC software version fitted to this airplane, uh, which features a cross-check between the OAT and, oh, um, I guess it's a previous uh, earlier version than the current version, which does a cross-check between the outside air temperature entered by the crew and sensed by the external temperature sensor. So this kind of mistake wouldn't have happened if they had the more modern software uh, version. And uh, in in this case, they did not. And it did not do a cross-check to see if the uh, temperature that they were entering into the computer was close to the sensed temperature and perhaps that uh you know mistake would not have been made and i don't know i've never flown an airplane captain nick that uh has the kind of system where you uh, actually put in the data and you get the performance data back from it um you know right there in the cockpit you know we get uh the airline that dana and i fly for acme uh we all that takeoff calculation information is performed by the uh, load planning and other uh, other departments within our airline and sent to the airplane via the ACARS uh, system and we print it out. And so we don't do any of those kind of calculations in the airplane. But I, I understand that at your airline, Nick, you do uh, use a, a calculator in the in the cockpit. Yeah, we've just uh, started using the electronic um, flight bag uh, system. Okay. And Airbus have apps in there which uh, can take you through all the load planning, uh, takeoff uh, calculations. They all link all the way through the performance you need to fly the entire flight. Um, and uh, so far, we have been only using it for uh, takeoff performance and landing distance calculations because we're bringing it in and we're doing it stage by stage and um we uh right uh, uh, new pilots to us or pilots that i've recently flown with who've used efb and other airlines say we do it in quite a laborious way uh, i personally for someone who's um, doing this for the first time think actually we do it in quite a good way which is um we do this on our ipad so and we're got them bolted to the aircraft on the uh, you know on the outside of the edge of the cockpit um, and we enter all the data independently f- that we're going to do the calculation and before we hit calculate the captain says Are you ready to calculate the takeoff performance and we go yep okay so we read the blocks of data that we've inputted and we check each other to make sure that we've all inputted exactly the same information. It's a little laborious, but we make sure we've uh, got the right airfield, runway, and then we compare the runway lengths we've uh, that the database has come up with to make sure we've used the right um, entry point to the runway. Uh, we then go through the uh, weather uh, on temperatures. And then uh, finally, when we've uh, checked everything, we say, okay, we'll now compute. And we both compute together and then come out with an answer, which we then compare and make sure we've got exactly the same figures. And we then input those figures into the computer on the aircraft, uh, the SFMC. And, of course, when we do that, whenever we do that, we always do a double check. And it's not the only check we do. We're, of course, uh, during our pre-takeoff checks, we actually read those figures out yet again to check that we've got the right ones in. So I don't know whether their system is as robust as that. I like our system at the moment. We could probably be slimmed a little 
uh, trimmed down perhaps when we've got a bit more experience with it. But for me, that's a great way to ensure that these kind of errors don't creep in. And I'm sure you probably have some like rule of thumb kind of information in your head when you, if it calculates something like 81.5% N1 for a takeoff on this particular runway in these particular circumstances that you say to yourself, Hmm, that seems kind of low. I mean, I don't know. I've never flown the 737, but Dana and I can tell you right now that if, you know, in this situation with this kind of runway and, you know, the weights that they were using for takeoff, et cetera. And if we came up with a figure of 81.5%, we go, uh, that's not going to be high enough because we have uh, a range of N1 settings in our brains that we know, you know, we should be seeing something in this particular range, you know, 88, 90, you know, percent N1, not 81.5. Again, it's a different airplane, different, different engines. I know, but yeah, I'm wondering for, for us, it would just be the flex temperature that we enter into the system. So if we, if we've got plenty of runway, we know that flex temperature is going to be quite high. If we're, a runway length limited or the conditions aren't ideal or we're very heavy, uh, then we know that temperature is going to be quite low, which will give us more thrust. So um, that's what we compare it against. And of course, when you actually push the throttles up and set that flex indent on the throttles and look at your engine instruments, um, we've got a physical readout there of how much th you're getting out of the engine. So you can look down all the gauges and if you think, well, that's not quite right, uh, and I have done it in the past sometimes. Uh, and sometimes you look down the runway and you think, well, there's not a lot of runway left. My first takeoff out of Cape Town was a classic. That uh, runway there has got a hump in it. And my very first takeoff there, I didn't appreciate quite how big that hump was and how much of the runway would eventually reveal itself as you trundle on down and quite a hot day out of uh, Cape Town and pretty heavy. We trundle on down the runway and I'm looking at what's left in front of me and thinking, well, that isn't very much. So I went, I'm going toga. And of course, that's a safe option. If ever you're in doubt, I just let it full power in the engines. And of course, we got a bit further down the runway and we suddenly realized there was tons of runway left, but we just couldn't see it initially. And you don't take it back again. You just leave it in there and accept the fact that you're going to use a bit more power and get airborne a bit quicker, which is fine. If everyone did it every trip, you'd eventually wear the engines out a bit quicker. But that's the, about the only penalty. Uh, so I see absolutely nothing wrong with increasing the amount of thrust you're using on a takeoff if you're ever in doubt. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It's it's funny what you say about <laughs> some of those uh, runways where you have that uh, hump in the middle of it and you have that illusion that you're running out of runway really fast. Yeah. And usually the only thing that kind of helps me is if they have the runway remaining, uh, distance remaining markers on the side and you go, oh, okay, I, I, I have a lot more runway remaining than I thought. But yeah, if you don't I think have they those. They ought to be mandatory, but <laughs> yeah. they, I don't often see them. <laughs> Uh, Dana, I, I think you wanted to add something. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, like you mentioned, Jeff, is if you have a, a, a number that is realistic as far as what, I mean, I don't know about the Airbus. I don't know about the 73. I know about our aircraft. And, you know, as you mentioned, there's, there's a specific number. It, in technique only, we actually call out that number. Um, but we've, you know, we we have had an instance not too long ago we, you know, if the information is not inputted into our computer properly, like you select climb power instead of takeoff power, 
you're going to get a lower number. Um, and that's, you know, what the, the EPR is, is shooting for. So, you know, e- even with older technology, it's imperfect in, in the basis of the human factor. And if the human factor is, is in there, there are chances, obviously, to make mistakes. And that's why we always back each other up, as Nick was, was alluding to, is, you know, each one of you uh, looks at the data and, and each one of you verifies the data. And that's really, you know, dependent, you know, dis- despite what, you know, the old technology and new technology on the 737 um, is, it, you know, it, it comes down to it. it's really our responsibility to ensure that the data that we're inputting, whether it's an older aircraft or a new aircraft, you know, old technology, new technology, is, you know, that we are uh, making sure that we're backing each other up and, and verifying the information we're putting in. And then it just, it's just, a, it's a matter of, uh, it's a matter of, of safety. So bottom yeah. line. And uh, you know, this, this, this uh, paragraph in this report uh, from aviation net. I'm not sure exactly where they got, I guess they got this from the uh, AAIB, but uh, saying or coming up with a scenario where the figure of minus 52 C was was entered instead of plus 16 uh, that sounds kind of far-fetched to me i'm thinking who would put in minus 52 <laughs> that's probably well, that, cold you know, isn't that it that might be a cruise number that's you know like when we put the uh, yeah the cruise number oh, yeah. for, for what you're up at you know 34,000 feet it might be the yeah. cruise number so it could be good just point, good point. putting it yeah. in the wrong line i mean the transposition, transposition i mean if, yeah. if you know the on an FMS, you know, you have these little buttons on each side of it. I don't know about everybody's FMS, but I know my FMS, you know, and I know Boeing, Honeywell, you know, if you put the, uh, you know, you select the line and that's where, you know, you type in the data and you select the line next to the way you want to put it. Well, let's say that's the line for your takeoff, you know, OAT, and the next line down happens to be a cruise number, you know, for temperature. You put it in the wrong, you know, you put it in the wrong line. Then guess what? You've now transposed it. Antenna, antenna out of nine yeah. pilots are dyslexic. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I obviously this is something that has been a, a factor or an error made in the past because the latest versions of this FMC software have that cross-check built in. So if this had not happened before, obviously they wouldn't feel the need to have the cross-check of the number inputted, uh, comparing it to the actual external temperature sensors on the airplane and uh so you know it's uh it's a shame that the mistake was made but yeah but uh, it took them like to 800 feet before they they tweaked and increased the power and i must admit if i was watching that farm come up because there's a nice picture here of uh, how high they were as they dribbled this airplane across the countryside and like they're 120 feet uh height when they're only when they're you know nearly a kilometer past the end of the runway, they, there's a farm in front of them. <laughs> yeah. I'm going. If I saw that farm coming, <laughs> I'd be firewalling the damn. Look at those farm <laughs> animals. I can really see them clearly. Why? Uh, why yeah, am I yeah. seeing those how, so quickly? How many legs have those sheep got? 
I mean, it, it's a little bit like the uh, remember the accident out of uh, uh, Washington that where the guys yeah, jumped their seven three yeah into yeah, the yeah, Potomac. Yeah. Uh, the fact was that they sat there with power available to them in their engines. They never moved the throttles, and I, I just don't understand the logic inside someone's head when you're lacking performance. You've got more available to you. Just open the taps, guys. Mm-hmm. You know, Ooh. just use what you well, have. It, you know, and in, 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 in here's another thing. I mean, when when all three of us are accelerating down a runway, we kind of have a feeling of what the airplane should feel like and the, 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 the acceleration rate. Even if the aircraft's heavy, we still have a good idea. And then there are times when you sit there when the aircraft's heavy and you say, wow. This is taking a long time, mm-hmm. and you take a look at it. But you know, you know, in your mind, you know you're heavy. You know your runway length. You're familiar with the aircraft. One would think that if you're in this airplane, and I'm looking at the at the diagram, of the photo of the of the radar and the speeds. If you look down as a pilot and, and you see that you're not accelerating that that fast, you would you'd think that something's wrong. Something should be sitting in your mind. Of course, we can all Monday morning quarterback, but you know if if you if you're at a stoplight in your car and you, and you accelerate and you see the person next to you accelerating way faster and the speed limit's 55 miles an hour, but you're only doing 30 and slow you know slowly slowly accelerating, you know you're not accelerating fast enough because you just it, it's just in a sense of just knowing your airplane, knowing the performance, knowing how. Things should look through experience, mm-hmm. and that's what's kind of baffling to me. Why didn't they see that? Why why couldn't you feel that? This is a pretty long runway. It's not a short runway by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. So I just it, – it, there's other senses that in other common senses, uh, you know, when, when something on your shoulder is saying, I feel like something's wrong, you ought to take a second look at everything and say, what's – What's you know, of course, you know, we, we always talk about, you know, seat of the pants. And, you know, when you're learning to be an instrument, instrument pilot, you're told to disregard anything that you feel or sense from the seat of your pants. And uh, it's not always the case where you should completely disregard, you know, the seat of the pants kind of sensation, uh, as we've just been discussing here. It's just like, you know, this just doesn't feel like the normal takeoff that I'm accustomed. Something must be wrong. Let's. Let's check out, see what's going on here. And then as uh, Captain Nick said, you know, there's no harm in just selecting full power. Just push those throttles up or whatever you do in the, uh, in, in the, I guess you actually click the uh, throttle levers or levers to uh, the next position and get the uh, full power generated from your engines and, uh, and be done with it, you know? And after the fact, when you realize, oh, you know what? We really didn't need all that, but hey, that's what it's there for. That's exactly right. I must try afterwards say, well, oh, that was a bit unnecessary. Sorry, guys. I yeah. I just didn't appreciate that the, the end of the runway wasn't going to be visible. But I'd much rather say that afterwards than drag my gear through the uh, through the approach lights. Absolutely. All right. Uh, 737 that crashed, uh, well, not crashed, uh, had an overrun incident at LaGuardia's uh, runway 22 uh, back in October, I believe, of last year. Uh, let's see several, uh, it was a charter, it was Eastern, uh, airlines, but at the time they're doing charter work for, uh, the presidential election campaign. And, uh, at the time Pence, uh, soon to be, uh, vice president 
Pence was on board the aircraft and they were coming in to land at uh, LaGuardia and they um, ended up kind of touching down. At, well, here, let me read the report. Uh, several failure. This is from the NTSB. Um, the final report, several failures in close succession by a jet's flight crew were the probable cause of a runway excursion at LaGuardia. Last October, the Eastern Airlines Boeing 737-700, a chartered flight carrying the then-vice presidential candidate Mike Pence and his campaign staff, overran runway 22 during the landing. And we talked about this uh, quite a bit on uh, earlier episodes. The airline departed the runway, excuse me, the airplane departed the runway and partially transited an arrestor bed of crushable concrete, the, uh, the E-mass system before coming to a stop about 170 feet past the end of the runway. None of the 11 crew members or 37 passengers were hurt in the incident. The plane sustained minor damage. The NTSB said when the first officer who was at the controls failed to get the jet's wheels on the ground within the first third of the runway or 2,300 feet, he should have executed a go around. You can always go around if it don't I'm glad the NTSB used my sound clip in their report. Yeah, uh, good. Yeah. Uh, so instead of, uh, he should have executed a go around instead of continuing the landing attempt. Then, during the landing roll, contrary to procedures, the captain didn't announce he was assuming control of the airplane, which resulted in each pilot attempting directional inputs that were at odds with the other. In other words, they were fighting with each other on the controls and not realizing the other was doing something different than what they were doing. This breakdown of basic crew resource management, along with the captain's failure to call for a go-around, demonstrated a lack of command authority, the NTSB said. Other pilots or other pilot actions, including starting the flare at an altitude almost twice as high as Boeing recommends, delays in reducing the throttles and manually deploying the speed brakes. Remember, I believe the auto spoiler system was not working, so they had to manually deploy the speed brakes, also contributed to the excursion. Uh, Eastern Airlines management told the NTSB it has developed a specific flight crew training to address the safety issues identified during the investigation. So, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of big red flags there to me. You're, first of all, you're landing at LaGuardia. That's already, you know, your stress level is a little bit higher than normal because it's a kind of a challenging place to get in. Uh, you are coming, you're coming in to land and you flare a little bit higher than you're supposed to and you don't touch down until halfway down or even maybe a little bit longer than halfway down that runway. And again, that runway is only 7,000 feet long, which for an airliner is not a long runway. And then not ensuring that the spoilers have been uh, deployed, which is a, a significant impact on your stopping ability in an airliner. Uh, and then, you know, it's just one thing after another, after another. And if this all could have, uh, have been avoided, if, uh, the first officer flying just initiated to go around and said, this doesn't feel good. Or if the captain had used his command authority and said, go around and, you know, they could have gone around and tried it again. 
Yeah, but I, I'm sure there was an element of the fact that they were carrying the vice presidential candidate on board, and there was probably a, a party there waiting to meet them, and the timings had to be right, etc. And you know, that all this thing weighs, and it's all on the wrong side of the safety scales. You know, all this was piling up on the dangerous side. There was very little left on the safe side. So yeah. It, it would have been a great decision in this case. Unfortunately, they didn't make it. Nope. nope. Hindsight's twenty twenty, they say. Hindsight oh, is twenty twenty, and, and and you know, even if even if they had gotten uh, or had the spoilers been properly activated, I think they probably would have would have been able to stop the aircraft. And this, we wouldn't even be talking about this today. So you know, the, there's just too many failures here that. Um, We've seen before, just always err on the side of safety, regardless of who's in the back. Because, uh, you know, me as a pilot, the, the, the number one person that I'm worried about is me and and in our in our welfare. So if, if I take care of number one, me, or number two, the captain, in my case, uh, then I'm taking care of everybody on the aircraft. And that's, that's what our primary goal has to be. I don't care who I have in the back of the airplane. I wouldn't care if I had the president of the United States, King Abdullah, or anybody else. I mean, I, I wouldn't care. It's all about self-preservation, and I've got to make every decision I make, um, and, of course, with the captain, uh, it's approval. Uh, you know, it's first officer. You always have to consider that. But everything I do in, in, in the flight deck is to make sure that, that we are safe, uh, regardless of, of who's in the back of the airplane. That's how you have to make all your decisions. You can't allow that to affect. Yeah, you know, you say that, and but you know, it's uh, it's in the back of your mind. You know, you're there are, and you're right. You gotta, you have to take care of yourself and your safety. But uh, it's something, um, you know, that some people are more affected by than others. When you know that somebody uh, VIP or whatever is on board, or there are certain things expected of you. Um, but you're right. You know, you need to disregard all of those and just. Do the job. And if Easier it means said than done. Yeah. I've absolutely no doubt in the first officer's mind it was his leg, his landing. He knew they had, had uh, the possible vice president of the of the, the country on board and he wanted to make sure he did a nice landing. So, you know, that might be a contributing factor to the reason he started the flare very early. He thought, Well, I'm gonna try and really grease this up. Whereas on a normal landing, uh, he might not have thought that was a problem and he would be more intent on making sure he got it on the beginning part of the runway. It's LaGuardia. You can't, you, in LaGuardia, DC, you can't play around. You make one effort to make a smooth landing. And if, you, if, if it doesn't happen, you just put the damn airplane on the ground. End of conversation. Yeah. I don't and, care who's in the back. And, you know, you, you're, you're speaking of someone who has flown into LaGuardia quite a bit. And I don't know, you know, we don't know what this guy's experience was with, uh, you know, maybe this was his first time landing in LaGuardia. <laughs> now he has a very good, better, much better appreciation of how, uh, how stressful it can be. Uh, anyway, uh, enough of that. Um, moving on with this. Have you been uh, keeping track at all of this little, there's an airline, uh, I think based in the, um, uh, in Ireland and uh, that, that little airline over there. Yeah. And yeah. they've been having some troubles, a little, a few troubles. A few. Yeah. We don't want to really dwell on it too much. <laughs> well, we don't. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, 
And, and this is just, I mean, this is several days old. I think there is even more, uh, there are newer uh, articles and uh, developments in what's going on with Ryanair. Uh, but uh, let's just talk about this one, which I thought was interesting. Apparently, uh, the uh, airlines um, are speaking at the airlines AGM in Dublin on Thursday. What does that mean? Their headquarters? Uh, annual general meeting. Oh, okay. Thank you. Uh, O'Leary dismissed suggestions of industrial action from disgruntled pilots seeking improved employment terms terms. I don't even know how there would be an industrial action at Ryanair. O'Leary said there isn't a union. He said that the airline airline had, this is what I thought was kind of funny, some goodies to discuss with pilots, but warned if pilots misbehave, that will be the end of the goodies. <laughs> it sounds like he's a dad. Uh, Childish. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Anyway, the uh, on Wednesday, whenever that was, I don't know if this is this last Wednesday or the previous Wednesday, probably more likely, a group of pilots turned down an offer of up to 12,000 pounds to keep flying during their scheduled leave, many of them putting their names to a letter demanding full employment contracts instead. Ryanair said in an email to pilots earlier this week that it needs them to fly more hours to avoid more flights being scrapped. But it now says that any new cancellations would be due to unforeseen reasons such as bad weather and would not be related to its staffing issues. Uh huh. Everybody believes that. Yeah, exactly. O'Leary appeared unwilling to give any ground in the standoff, instead threatening to cancel pilots' time off and questioning the extent of their talents. He also accused some of the pilots of being, quote, precious about themselves and, quote, full of their own self-importance. Once... This is getting better. Once you're trained and skilled at doing it, I would challenge any pilot to explain how this is a difficult job or how it is that they are overworked or how anybody who by law can't fly more than 18 hours a week could possibly be suffering from fatigue, he said. And of course, one said that the figure of 18 hours quoted by Michael O'Leary appeared to have been calculated by dividing the maximum permitted 900 hours flight time per year by 52 weeks. Uh, he said that this did not reflect the number of flight hours in a normal working week and also admitted, omitted many hours of time before and after flights. Yeah, a common mistake that people make when they hear, oh, you only worked 15 hours this week? Yeah, well, I was gone for three days and every day was a 12-hour day. Uh, so it doesn't sound impressive when you tell somebody how many hours you got on that trip or whatever. It's it's completely it's comparing apples and oranges. Yeah. Comparing paid what you actually paid for versus what you're actually working. I mean, uh, this this company <clears throat> has deliberately uh, split their workforce and for no other reason than they uh, know that very well that they can uh, then treat each small group of pilots the way they want because there's no way that those in few individuals can affect the performance of the airline. So uh, a lot of these guys uh, have to w- work through a third party so there there is some kind of a uh, an outfit which uh, acts as an intermediary between the pilots and Ryanair and uh, they have a contract with this third party who then sells on their um, their skills as it were to Ryanair so Ryanair refuses to employ many of these pilots directly uh, which is how they managed to prevent them from ever linking as a as a pilot workforce which I'm sure in the states uh, 
as well as our own airline, uh, my own airline, um, you would uh, go, well, how can that be? I mean, uh, you know, that you've got very strong pilot unions, which is why uh, you can protect your, um, your contracts and uh, you can also have a safer airline. I love some of these quotes. I mean, it's not in this particular piece, but uh, uh, O'Leary in the past has been um, attributed these quotes. Uh, He he made a quote on passenger refunds where he said, you're not getting a refund, so F off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Nice. He talked about uh, this. This uh, no no uh, disrespect to you, Dana. He talked about overweight passengers. Nobody wants to sit. Wait, 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 Tamma. What about overweight, <laughs> overweight pilots? What about overweight pilots? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good point. No one wants to sit beside a really fat effer on board. We have been frankly astonished at the number of customers who don't uh, only want to tax fat people but torture them. I mean. Uh, on turbulence, if drink sales are falling off, we get the pilots to engineer a bit of turbulence that usually spikes up the drink sales. I mean, he's, he's not exactly the ideal um, concept of uh, a man who is trying to, you know, get his passengers to enjoy the experience. Well, of course, it's, it's delusional. Yeah, and this in this article, oh, yeah. though, of course, everything is okay because he said there isn't a bad relationship between Ryanair and the pilots. We asked on Monday for volunteers to work days off. We've had a huge cooperation and support from pilots. Okay. Anyway. Okay. The uh, the drama, the saga continues. And I uh, just read recently that they've had they've announced another, I don't know how many cancellations uh, going all the way into the next year. So uh, a lot of people are wondering you know, what what's going to come of this whole thing. Well, the latest today uh, on our newspapers were the Civil Aviation Authority has uh, threatened to uh, take legal action against them for withholding the um, rights that passengers have uh, when their flights are cancelled from uh, their web pages. In other words, not giving the passengers the information they need because when you cancel someone's flight, particularly at short notice, uh, you're obliged as an airline to find them alternative travel. And uh, they just weren't telling passengers this. In fact, a lot of passengers were told all they would get would be a refund of the relatively low fare. That's why people fly with this airline um, that they had paid. And it was up to them to go find someone else to fly with. Whereas, in fact, uh, Ryanair was supposed to have rebooked at no extra cost on an alternative carrier all those passengers that uh, they cancel it certainly short term cancel if you if it's over a certain period that that doesn't work but uh, and th- they were deliberately uh, not telling passengers this just so they would avoid the cost of having to uh, pay for them to fly on a more expensive airline i think they're going to end up paying for it now uh, one way or another well yeah there seems to be quite a move afoot to uh, boycott the airline mm. whether anything comes of that i don't and know. we should be be very clear on the show that uh, the employees, uh, some of whom work for this airline that are part of our ABG community, are very, very great people, fine people. Uh, it's We're really kind of focusing upon the leadership, uh, questionable leadership of the uh, company right now and uh, not its well, employees. Very much so. so I'm sorry. Yeah, I, think, I, th- I think this is it's just travesty. And this is not how you treat people. No. It's not how you treat customers, not, not how you treat 
you know, it, an, another human being doesn't treat another human being like this. Yeah. I, I think this guy uh, is just completely out of his mind. Well, we said that for uh, you know, a long time now. <laughs> well, yeah. Do you, do you remember Easton, Easton and Continental? There's a, uh, a famous uh, manager that here in the United States that kind of sounds like this guy. Um, yeah. Lorenzo. Oh my God, and I'm having Lorenzo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's banned from aviation. So I think this guy needs to be banned from aviation. He's, he's, he's affecting a lot of people's lives, not only uh, at the airline, but the people that, you know, have in good faith purchased tickets on that airline. Um, he's affecting all the, the families, jobs. Uh, it's just, it, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm fuming. I, I can't even say more on this. I mean, it's just really irritating to me. Well, then let's move on to so. something much more positive. So, hey, are you a Netflix customer? Do you like watching Netflix movies, documentaries, television shows, that kind of thing? I do. Uh, yeah, they're great. Turns out that uh, Netflix in-flight streaming is available through a few carriers around the world, but it's far from a staple of air travel. More often than not, technological limitations will force you to download that new show before you leave home. It could be far more common going forward, though. Netflix is launching an initiative that will use its mobile device encoding technology to make Netflix accessible on aircraft that don't always have the luxury of fast satellite internet access. As you might have already surmised, mobile encoding uses far less bandwidth than what you get on the desktop. And then they go through some details about how many kilobits per second um, a stream uses for DVD quality on your desktop or your 4k, you know, HDR TV at home. But then they say that uh, compared to that, the uh, mobile device bandwidth technology that they're coming up with and improving all the time uh, uses just a fraction of that. And you actually get a pretty decent signal. So it looks like that uh, we all may be, well, not all of us, uh, you know, we up in the cockpit aren't going to be watching Netflix, but if we're traveling deadheading or passengers, pardon me. You don't? Oh, I guess you're flying all those older generation. Airplanes. Yeah, well, we don't have the uh, the big uh, 4K uh, TVs up in, oh, in our okay. cockpit as you do. <laughs> anyway, that's cool. And uh, just as a side note, uh, and I think that a couple of you have sent in feedback regarding this, and we do thank you for that. Uh, uh, Delta Airlines, uh, very it's a, one of our sister airlines, I think, uh, just announced uh, the other day that starting this weekend that they were going to make uh, texting uh, a free service for everyone on the airplane. Delta's fleet uh, is almost 100% uh, equipped with uh, with Wi-Fi and uh, air-to-ground and air-to-satellite uh, communication capability. And uh, so that means that if you're flying on that company, uh, that you'll be able to uh, text people in route and say, hey, you know, it looks like we're going to be coming in at this particular time that's a nice convenience i think and i'm sure that all airlines will probably follow suit well i mean i can see a certain advantage for the airlines if they don't have to put in uh, high quality seatback tvs they can save a lot of weight and a lot of wiring all they really need to do is to say right come on with your ipad or your phone or whatever and you'll get free streaming and we'll just give you in-seat power which is a lot simpler to uh, arrange and uh, then, you know, they just, uh, that would, the saving would, for the airline would be enormous. I mean, for the few passengers who don't have an iPad, I guess you could might 
uh, hand out a belly telly, as we used to nickname them, um, you know, handing out, out a similar screen, uh, but uh, and let them borrow those at a, at a small cost. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I can see great advantages in uh, being able to stream straight onto your uh, mobile device. Often you've got a better quality device in front of you than the airline has provided in the back of the seat. Yeah, BYOD, I think they call it, right? Bring your own device. I might get a little flack. If, I might get a little flack for saying this, but I'm going to. Airlines are not in the restaurant business, nor are we in the entertainment business. We're in the business of transporting people safely. So I get that people want to have the technology in the back of the seats, but I, I don't necessarily agree that we should be providing in-flight entertainment as, as you know as much as we you know we should be providing you know, flaming on or shrimp cocktail. I mean. When people get on the bus, they get on the bus and they don't have in-flight entertainment or ground entertainment. When they get on the train, they don't have entertainment. They bring their entertainment with them. Why are we in a different category? Well, it's called competition, and uh, that's just the – whether you like it or not, that's the world we live in now, and you're in the other universe. (laughs) So uh, that's just – so just, you know, think about – Think about the last time. I, we understand what you're saying, but you're in the extreme minority here because if you uh, recall any of your recent uh, deadheading flights in the back of an airplane, almost every single window shade is closed because everybody is using their personal electronic devices, watching stuff or watching the seat back entertainment system or whatever. And, uh, you know, as much as we'd like to say everybody on an airplane is there because they love the thrill of travel, um, most people don't. <laughs> they could care less about the fact that they're 30,000 feet above the ground and could see just amazing things that they normally don't get to see, they'd rather be looking at the tiny screen on their little smartphone or whatever. Uh, oh, you know, and, and I absolutely agree that, you know, that's look, look at uh, some airline with the last name of blue in the Northeast that, that was very successful in introducing that. Um, but then you have the other airline that has something to do with the West something and uh, uh, South and then West. Well, you can you can yeah. actually say the names if you'd like. Uh, you know, we don't fly for those yeah. airlines <laughs> that, that don't have that. That's still. I mean, I don't. I haven't been on the airplanes lately, but I don't think they have any in-flight entertainment. So, you know, it, it it's. It, I, I'm not saying it to be mean. I'm I'm saying it because we're now in a, a day and age that exactly what we're talking about. I mean, get on and go any place, and most people aren't talking to each other anymore because they're sitting there in their texting or using their, their, their mobile device um but you can't so, change that behavior that that's that's where we no, I'm are not, uh, <laughs> no I'm, I'm not looking to change that behavior i think that it the, the right direction is where the airline's going and that is allow everybody have everybody use their own device versus us providing the 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 that service i mean i, I think i think we we need to i think the the airlines are moving in that direction i think uh, american mentioned that I know Acme's mentioned it, so um, I, I I don't see why it's a selling point. People, I, I do see where people get off our airplane. Well, you didn't have in-flight entertainment. Well, we got you here safely, didn't we? That's our number one job, and that's that's one thing that I don't think we need to lose focus on. Well, if everybody was think- like us, uh, we wouldn't need any of that stuff. We'd have our window shades open, looking outside and enjoying 
uh, shrimp cocktail and and. Uh, uh, but I want a video of the flight deck so I could see the guys doing their job, and I'd want a video of the outside of the airplane. I want a video because I can't if I'm not in a window seat, I miss all that. Well, you're just going to have to take what fair. you get. And shut yeah. up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Dana, I think uh, you'll find every single airline in the world will say safety is our priority. And uh, the only way they then, having declared that and assuming they are nice and safe, the only way that they can attract passengers is price of the seat and what they provide on board. True. It's very true. Hey, so very quickly, I, I, I know we've already been going for quite a while here, and I would like to get to our feedback soon, but um, I, I just I really feel like I want to talk about this um, article about this United 737 that narrowly avoided a midair collision at O'Hare, actually uh, not at O'Hare, but uh, just outside of O'Hare. Uh, they were coming in uh, from Vancouver, to Chicago's O'Hare International, uh, the plane made a sudden evasive turn that had the passengers shrieking after safety safely landing at O'Hare. One of the pilots on United Flight 246 came on the intercom. I think what they mean to say is the PA to say it was a split second decision to save the plane. And of course, uh, we'll have a link to this article and you can see the track from uh, what is this flight radar 24? Um that uh you know that that track looks like they more like they were chasing it than <laughs> it does it went all over the place <laughs> it looked, kind of, hey, he's over there quick <laughs> we're gonna Time get that rascal yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it does kind of look uh weird actually uh but anyway one of the passengers uh said that uh they were on approach it was fairly bump uh, a fairly what was it uh callum yeah it was a uh, photographer and uh passenger callum snape um, said we were on approach. It was a fairly bumpy approach, but nothing out of the ordinary until the right wing suddenly dropped out of nowhere and we made a, an extreme right turn. Passengers on board shrieked and grabbed hold of the seats in front and their armrests. Initially, all of us thought something was wrong with the aircraft and perhaps the right engine had failed. But after correcting the aircraft fast, we made a few more turns and evened out. The turbulence was still moderate throughout this. Everyone knew something was wrong, but weren't sure what. Another 10 minutes in the air, we landed and then arrived at the gate. A female voice came on the intercom. It was the pilot, and she said something along the lines of, Ladies and gentlemen, I wanted to take the opportunity to talk to you first, because this will likely make the news and be talked about on the premier aviation podcast, Airline Pilot Guy. No, I'm sorry. that I added that. We had to make an evasive maneuver to avoid a collision with another small aircraft in the air. It appeared to be similar to a glider that wouldn't have had geolocation technology on board. I apologize for the the maneuvers we had to make, but it was a split-second decision. I didn't hear the rest of it, but everyone on the plane began clapping and cheering at the pilot. Everyone was a little shaken up by the experience and happy to be on the ground. Uh, United spokesman uh, spokesperson emailed a statement confirming the near collision and saying that everyone uh, was indeed okay. And it said that United Flight 246 from Vancouver to O'Hare landed safely and all passengers to plane normally after the pilots deviated from the flights, uh, the aircraft's flight path because they spotted a glider. We are following up with the FAA to do a complete review of what had happened. Uh, so this was, a, again, a 737-900ER. Tail number uh, November 69810. And uh, let's see, what else do we want to say about this? Oh, um, 
somebody sent in some feedback regarding this. Jonathan Turfburr, uh, in I don't, I don't know if he's still in the chat room or not. Yeah, he is. Um, this is from you, Jonathan. Uh, he says, first off, Captain Jeff, was great to hang out with you in San Antonio last week. I agree. Me too. Had a great time. I hope to have the chance to meet up with the rest of the crew sometime soon. Let me know if you ever make it to Central Texas. On the feedback, and he said, I'm sure you're going you're, you're gonna to talk about this uh, near collision uh, with the glider. He said, I was under the impression that to avoid a collision, an aircraft would typically be pitched up or down, as planes can change direction vertically much more quickly than they can horizontally. Also, the human brain can more quickly compute if we should go up or down to avoid collision, then it it should turn left or right. That's a more complex perception and decision science behind this. Oh, there is more complex perception and decision science behind this, but I'll leave it simple for now because he knows that I'm going to be reading this. Thank you. Uh, the reports all say that the pilots made a sharp left turn, maintained altitude to avoid collision with this glider. So I was wondering what your thoughts were on this. Was I completely wrong in my understanding or are there just certain circumstances where a horizontal maneuver is more appropriate. Also, I was wondering if any of you have ever had to execute an evasive maneuver to follow a TCAS RA outside of military flying. Uh, again, that was from Jonathan. So I, I can say right now that if I see something out there, my first inkling is probably going to want to turn the airplane. That's just my normal reaction. If I can see something that we're about to hit, um, and I'm not sure exactly whether this thing is descending or climbing. Um, my first reaction, if I actually see it, is to avoid it by turning. And that's just me, I guess. Uh, I don't know. What do you, what's your thought on that, uh, Captain Nick? It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because TCAS chose to maneuver the aircraft in the vertical sense because that is the quickest way to get out of the flight path of another aircraft. Um, I'm to a certain extent with you because uh, all my uh, training, particularly my military training, was based on uh, if you see an aircraft uh, and you want to assess whether you're going to hit him or not, you just watch for a very short spence, uh, period of time to see whether he moves in your windshield or not. And if he starts drifting uh, to the you know to one side, he could be going behind you. If he starts drifting the other way, he could be going ahead of you, and therefore you're not in a collision situation, so you're going to miss him. So if he's relatively stationary, are you going to hit him? Now, um, the one thing that's hard to work out on an airliner quite often is if he's at the same altitude as you, because often there's not a clear horizon, uh, and also uh, an aircraft that might appear um, below you at a distance may actually be on the same altitude when you get closer to him. And and we're only talking, talking uh, you know, a few hundred feet here. So it's, that is quite hard to perceive. So I can understand a completely natural reaction is to start a turn. If you have time problem with my size aircraft is that does take quite a while he's not a maneuverable airplane so it's going to you're going to get the bank on first and you're going to have a reasonable amount of bank on to initiate a, a firm turn uh, before you can start getting that the nose tracking around the horizon at a reasonable rate whereas to move the aircraft up or down you can do that very simply and easily um the problem with waiting until you can assess the guy's relative altitude and is he at the same height as me, you have to wait till he's a lot closer 
for that to happen because you think about it, he's going to have to start moving down or up in your windshield before you can visually assess to whether he's at the same altitude. And uh, you do have to be relatively close to him for that to happen. And then you have to make your maneuver, which really, honestly, you're now um, compressing your decision-making uh, period down of a very short time. So uh, it's, it's a tough one. Uh, I think it would vary on the situation, and I think we're all um, natural pilots. Uh, we wouldn't be doing this job if we weren't, and we would all react uh, in what we perceive to be the safest way. Uh, if in science or in the simulator it was proved that that perhaps wasn't the best option, then we are re-educated. But at the moment, I think I'm behind you, Jeff. I would say if I saw the guy with enough time, and I uh, and I could maneuver my aircraft laterally. That's great, and I would probably do so if it was close, so close that uh, I couldn't. Then I would probably pitch the airplane. And also bear in mind, of course, that a lot of our separation criteria in elevation in height nowadays is very small. So I could probably turn laterally and not risk hitting another airplane that might be beside me because air traffic keep a miles of distance between us. Uh, in the lateral sense, whereas we've only got a thousand feet uh, separation quite often in the vertical sense. So if I pitch my airplane up and bust at a thousand feet, which I can do in the click of a finger, I could be putting myself in even greater danger with another aircraft that's above or below me. So well said. I mean, I was going to say the same thing. We have a lot of room laterally, but we have very little room vertically, potentially. And uh, the the uh, perception issue that you talk about, you know, I, I swear sometimes I'll see traffic on the TCAS system and I'll think to myself when I'm looking at it going, it looks like we're above that traffic, but the TCAS thing readout says we're below it. And it's just like, oh, okay, that doesn't, doesn't look that way to me. And so it's, we have a difficult time as humans perceiving uh, vertical uh, you know, differences as opposed to horizontal differences and the other thing is that the reason why tcas well a couple of reasons why tcas chose to do the vertical thing uh you're right jonathan and captain nick that you know making a change vertically is faster uh more expedient than turning uh but the tcas system uses bearing or i mean not bearing distance and rate of climb coming from the transponder on the, uh, the airplane that's equipped with a mode uh, c transponder that that puts out altitude information so you can use the bearing i'm not i keep saying bearing the distance information and the rate of climb information or altitude information on the uh, airplanes and make a, a very solid decision that okay you climb and the other person if so equipped with tcas will descend or whatever the resolution is uh, whereas they they say in the future at some point that they're going to also factor in bearing as well. So we may be doing TCAS uh, resolution maneuvers in the future that not only involve going up or down or keeping the same altitude, but also turning left or right at the same time. But they figured the simplest way to do it and the most efficient way to do it is to do the vertical thing. But when you are dealing with a situation like this with a glider or whatever it was that they saw that does not have the equipment in it to give you any information whatsoever – now you're just based you're, you're having to make that decision based upon what you're seeing what you're perceiving and and i think as captain nick said and as i've said uh, the the natural reaction for me would be to turn the airplane 
And, you know, we, we are very, very focused and it's in the back of our mind all the time that if we're assigned 10,000 feet, we're not going to leave 10,000 feet until we're authorized to do it. And that does have an effect on what we do with the airplane, because we know that as soon as we're out of an altitude, we're going to be doing paperwork and, and we're going to have to come up with a reason for why we deviated vertically. Whereas we don't feel the same way. If we, we can sometimes see something, we're going to deviate just slightly to the right or slightly to the left. And we know that it's not going to endanger anybody because we have a kind of a wide lane uh, separating our tra- us from other traffic. Uh, Dana. Yeah, I mean, I agree with what you both said, and, and Nick, you did a fantastic uh, job. Um, bo- bottom line, it boils down to is, is is a judgment call. And in this case, obviously, without the uh, glider having TCAS, the, uh, the pilots judged based on what they perceived out the window to be the best action. Um, you know, both of you have alluded to, you know, the altitude. Uh, I would be hesitant to, to – Unless, unless it was, you know, I could absolutely see that the L2 is going to be a, a big difference in, in, you know, on the TCAS. Obviously, if I get an, an RA, I'm going to follow the RA unless I can see otherwise. Um, and I have actually had a TCAS RA going into Denver. It's a, quite a common uh, airport because they have the two parallel runways that are very close to each other. And with a lot of maneuvering coming in, uh, lining up on final, um, it, it we've had a lot of mixed guidance there. So, you know, you have to follow the, the RA um, unless it's specific airports you're not, you know, told not to because of the maneuvering. But anyways, um, you know, I, I would be more inclined to, to agree that I'm going to churn the airplane versus uh, go through an altitude because the altitude is, is there's only a thousand foot separation. Uh, going into ba- busy airports like, uh, you know, Atlanta or D- Dallas or, uh, Chicago, you know, they've got aircraft stacked, uh, you know, on the arrivals and departures, and you know, they're very close. And you get, you do get some alerts, uh, you know, when you're taking off and landing into these airports because you know, you've got aircraft that are departing and landing, coming at it, you know, leveling off at you know, 12,000, you know, climbing. So there's not a whole lot of room, just like uh, both Nick and, and Jeff have talked about. So I'd be more inclined to turn the aircraft before I would uh, want to climb or descend the aircraft. Exactly. Well, um, hopefully that answered your question, Jonathan, and uh, it was a great question. There's one other thing. Uh, one of the in 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 the room in the live chat room uh, was brought up that doesn't an aircraft glider have a right away by the FARs? And I think that's actually true. It All right. Might. But uh, in, in this case, you know, if you have a positive identification with uh, said glider. And, you know, there's communication and people know that each other is there. You know, that's one thing. But in this case, when you're just flying along on an on a arrival and you see an airplane, that, I think I don't think they're worried about right of way at this point. I think they're worried about not hitting. Yeah, exactly. The, uh, exactly. Sail yeah. before steam. Sail before steam. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just want to bring it up. I mean, it was brought up. In, oh, in, it's a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, when Captain Jeff says uh, he doesn't want to generate paperwork, what do you <laughs> What he really means is he's 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 going to do the safest thing. He's not going to do a certain action just so he doesn't have to fill a form in. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, but that that is a factor as well. <laughs> oh, of course, safety is the number one priority. But uh, you know, filling out 
reports and paperwork is, you know, pretty high up there, too. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well below safety and passenger comfort. And yeah. And the other thing, we don't like spilling the passengers champagne. Yes. If we can help it. Yeah. Well, it, it's it's a good advertisement as to why when we say, please have your seatbelts on and the seatbelt signs on, have your seatbelt on and make sure you stay seated because stuff like that can happen. There you go. You know, people think of a good point you're making there, Dana, when uh, the seatbelt light is off and we always say at Acme, you know, we if you're in a seat, though, please keep your seatbelt fastened because and most people think it's because and because we say it, you know, for unexpected turbulence. But I really want to say and sometimes I've said this or aircraft upset because there are times when you get into somebody else's wake or you have to make an evasive maneuver like this it has nothing to do with turbulence and you're going to go flying if you're not. I mean, literally flying out of your seat and hitting the ceiling or something. Uh, and you don't want that. And you, there's no guarantee that your flight is going to be perfectly smooth and you're not going to have a flight uh, in-flight upset. In fact, I would say that you're much more likely in today's world to be encountering wake turbulence from other airplanes uh, than you were in the past because of our enhanced um, navigation uh, capability where we're flying in the same exact space almost within a few feet of each other uh, as we do all these very precise arrival and departure procedures into airports and uh, so you know you always have to expect that this is something that can happen that we because we can't see the wake usually of the airplane preceding us and sometimes we end up getting into it and the aircraft gets upset and a lot of times it's much more abrupt than the kind of upset you get with a rhythmic rhythmic uh, turbulence uh, so i'd say that that is probably the the best reason to always have your seatbelt on if you're in a seat because um it's just it's a uh, it's it's hard to see. It's hard to avoid, and uh, it can be quite uh, aggressive. Well, you know, one of the things I say, Jeff, in my uh, in my PAs is, you know, just like when you're on the ground and you're in your vehicle. I say vehicle because when I say car, most people don't know what I'm saying, um, and that's a car, C A R. Oh, car. car. Okay. I say in your vehicle, you know, you're still in a moving moving vessel, even though it feels a lot more stable. You're still in a moving vessel. Please always keep your seatbelts fastened about you because I can never predict anything. So um, it, it's, it's you know, you hit it right on the head. I mean, we're flying along. We have our VSM now. Before it used to be, you know, a, a much, you know, at least, what, 2,000-foot separation between about aircraft. 29,000. Hmm? Above, above 29,000. Yes, let me be specific. Above 21,000. Yeah, and and so, our VSM is reduced vertical separation minima. Okay, it's RVSM is reverse, super, yeah, separation uh, reverse. That's just for, to help people out there that have never heard that term or don't understand what that and, means. And that's my fault for not being more specific. Um, no, but, no, that's why uh, we're all here, helping each other out. That's right. So anyways, it's only a 1,000-foot separation now. So you've got an A380 that comes over the top of you, and the wind isn't blowing that much or it's blowing its wake right at you, and it, it's not un. Unconceiv- inconceivable, which it has happened to me, where you you run through the wake at, at, at flight altitude. So, um, you know, when that seatbelt signs on, we usually have a reason for it. So, yeah, and it doesn't doesn't have to be an A three eighty. I've gotten in uh, uh, wake turbulence from regional jets that have disrupted uh, the uh, the aircraft that I'm in. 
So, you know, it's just much worse the bigger the airplane and the heavier the airplane. Uh, and I, I'm glad to hear, Dana, that you're that you're kind of making that comparison. Of course, when you're traveling in the van between the hotel and the airport and vice versa, you always have your seatbelt. Always. Right? Excellent. Good to hear. I live dangerously. <laughs> Do you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good luck to you. But you've lived a long life already. I have. Yeah. I, I have. I've nothing more to live for. Captain, incoming message. Okay, well, we spent a lot of time on the news, but I think it was worth was it. Good news. So we're going to try to knock out some of these uh, good news, good news. Now we're going to try to knock out quickly some of these uh, pieces of feedback. First one from Luke. Uh, he's He entitled it Unloved Mad Dog. Well, There's a few of those around. I'm, yeah, uh, and un, and unloved mad dog pilots. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm sure I'm not the only person to send in feedback regarding this article about Acme trying to get more pilots on their mad dogs. Yeah, we've talked about it before. I realize that this is only uh, the cause of a pilot shortage on a general aircraft and that for planes in the fleet, which are maybe more, don't cringe, Jeff and Dana, desirable to fly, there is uh, a more standard wait time between going from the right seat to the left seat. Not six months. I know that upgrades to the left seat and different equipment types are based on seniority for Acme. How does this work? Uh, is it only based on the amount of time you spent with the company? Is time spent on different equipment types on or on the left or right side of the cockpit more valuable in considering what your seniority actually is for the company? And what are your opinions on the seniority system? And would you rather have your pay and equipment type bidding be based more like Acme Red and other European operators? He continues, I'm a university student graduating in December. I plan on working in construction afterwards, as that is the best opportunity I have right now for what my values are. I always wanted to be an airline pilot, but the grind to get 1,500 hours or whatever it is now, and then get paid next to nothing with a lot of debt at a regional operator until I get to a major is a deal breaker for me. I love the show. You guys and my flight sim give me my aviation fix. Keep the brown side down. And that's Luke Langban, uh, the uh, AKA Luke the Builder. And uh, yeah, the good news is, Luke, um, I'm not trying to change your mind, but uh, the uh, regionals now are paying more. Yes, they still have kind of a high barrier of uh, hours required to get on with them. Uh, I have a feeling that may end up changing in the future, possibly. I don't know. But um, anyway, um, but I under completely understand your decision to stay in construction. Uh, that's a, a good place to be as well. Now, regarding seniority at, and I can only speak for the airline that Dana and I fly at, and most of the major and non-major carriers here in the United States, uh, our system is a seniority-based system exclusively. A seniority-based system, so it is entirely uh, the the seniority is based on you know when you were hired by the company strictly. So you could be, let's say, we still flew airplanes that had flight engineer positions. Um, you could be a flight engineer for twenty years and then decide at uh, some point uh, I'm going to bid captain on the seven forty seven. Well, if you had the seniority to get that position, you would be awarded that position probably not a great idea but uh yeah that that's a that's something that you could do because the way our system works you don't have to have any experience like for instance when i got bumped off the 727 to the md88 md90 i did not 
ever, I had no experience flying the uh, Mad Dog at all. And I ended up slipping into the captain's position of that airplane. And that's because, again, I didn't have to have any experience on that airplane previous to flying uh, captain uh, that position on that airplane. So um, that's just the way uh, the strict, simple seniority based system works. And there are some advantages to that. And there are some disadvantages to that. And, you know, I think that uh, the kind of system that several other airlines have where it's your pay is based or your position is based on other factors. Uh, for instance, perhaps uh, I know there are some airlines where uh, your your pay is based on how long you've been with the company. That's one uh, variable. Uh, whether you're in a narrow body or a wide body airplane, that's another variable. And then whether you're a captain or a first officer. And uh, so that system has its advantages as well. And then there are other companies where uh, it is based upon some kind of a metric, uh, you know, based on how you perform your job, uh, more of a, I guess, a merit based system. And I can definitely see some advantages with that because the seniority system does sometimes allow for people that maybe shouldn't be, you know, in a position of authority and whatever, flying a certain airplane type. Uh, But because it's a simple seniority system and they have the seniority to do it, uh, they will end up, you know, in that position unless for some reason they have trouble and training or whatever else. I mean, there are some safeguards in our data and our system and my system where, you know, if somebody bids something that clearly they really can't handle, um, it, it'll be taken care of when they're doing their training or their initial line experience. But um, anyway, so that's all I have to say about that. What do you think, Kevin? Me? Um, yes. You. Seniority. The guy with the beard. Yeah, that's it. Seniority. Yeah. That's how it works. I mean, every airline has its own system. Some don't even run a seniority system. Uh, but uh, in my experience, seniority is king. Mm-hmm. Whether you like it or not, just got to work with the system. Yeah. I mean, as I said, there, there are advantages to both types of systems. And uh, I wish that you could have the best of both worlds and combine it into one system. But um, I don't think you're going to ever see anything change in in our world here in in the U.S. as far as major airlines and the where you know they're based on the seniority system. I think um, that uh, it's so well established and it's been around for so long that it's it's not going to change. So you just have to, as Captain Nick just said, you know, you got to work with it. Yeah, and, and, and seniority is, uh, you know, I, I know uh, Acme made uh, made the news. Um, was it Acme or Delta? I don't remember. Whoever, but anyways, uh, you know, made the news regarding you know captains that are just basically just got recently hired that are now going to be you know in charge of an airliner. You know, number one, let me let me stop and say that you know we have really good training. Uh, you know, in the airlines, and, and, and the FAA has, you know, dictated as to what level, you know, proficiency you have to have before they'll let you go fly an airplane. So um, I don't I, I don't think, uh, you know, I really don't think it's going to be a big factor. I mean, there is some level of experience that you don't have as a new captain um, if you haven't been with a particular airline for a long time. But being able to, to, to operate the aircraft safely, they're not going to allow you to do it. So I I really don't think it's a it's going to be a, a huge factor um, where you are in seniority now, and, and that's that's a, that's one thing with seniority. It gives you the choice. If if you 
are senior and you're flying international routes and you don't want to go and fly a domestic route and get to, you know, fly four, five, six legs a day and, and work really hard and you just want to go fly one leg to Rome and have, you know, 24 hours in Rome, you know, where you sit in seniority, you have that option. So there are a lot of people that don't want to come fly a domestic airplane uh, and, and, and work, you know, work hard. Um, but then again, there are a lot of guys like myself. I have no desire to ever go fly international because as uh, was mentioned earlier in the show, I'm a big guy. I'm not necessarily fat. I, I, I'm just a big, big bone guy. So the rest facilities for me is a huge issue. Uh, the, 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 um, the 767, the uh, ER, and also the 400. I don't fit in the business class seat comfortable enough to be able to go and get uh, adequate rest. So I utilize my seniority to continue to stay as a senior first officer, soon to be captain, uh, and have my weekends off, my holidays off, have a great quality life, bid good trips, like you know, kind of like what Jeff does. Jeff is in the same scenario. I mean, you know, Jeff, you could probably be a captain mid-range on the 7.6, uh, probably towards the bottom on the triple seven, um, if you can even hold it, and probably towards the bottom on on the uh, on the three thirty. But you know, your choice is to stay as a senior captain because you have great control over your schedule. So seniority has its real benefits, um, and that is if you you are senior within an airline that is a seniority based airline, you can choose, pick and choose where you want to be, your quality of life, um, and the type of equipment that you want to fly. And what type of destinations you fly to? So uh, I, I'm I'm kind of actually, believe it or not, regretting that I'm going to upgrade. Only only reason why I say that is because I don't want to lose my quality of life. I have an unbelievable quality of life, and when I upgrade to captain, I'm going to be at the bottom of you know of 800 guys. I'm going to be about 600 guys. Uh, you know, 600 or so. So I'm be back working weekends, holidays, and I'll have no quality of life. So I'm giving that up for, you know, a little bit more money. But, you know, again, that's all personal choice. And that's what that's really the, the real good benefit about a seniority-based system is that you have, uh, unless you're really, really, really at the bottom, you have a choice of, of what you want to do in, in, in the airline. Hello, all. It's Clarence over here to expound a little bit on the subject of teaching captains to taxi and positive rate versus positive climb call out before retracting the landing gear on takeoff. I work for one of the legacy U.S. carriers, and let's just say it's not American, it's not Acme or Delta. We'll call it uh, Trans-American Airlines. They made a movie or two about us, as you may recall. When getting checked out on the 777, there was a rather intense part of IOE that covered the geometry of the airplane. That is, when you're sitting in your seat in the cockpit, you can accurately visualize where the engines and wingtips are, and also where the tail swing will go in a sharp turn. In the 737, there was quite a bit of time spent on taxing technique during IOE, especially since the airplane is commonly taxied single engine, which can be quite challenging under certain combinations of surface conditions, weight of the airplane, and how far you have to taxi before takeoff. So at least at my airline, there was a significant amount of training during IOE on how to taxi the airplane. And by the way, we like to refer to IOE as idiots out experimenting. 
Incidentally, at uh, Trans American Airlines, the captain always taxis the airplane unless some unusual or emergency situation dictates otherwise, even if there is a tiller installed on the right side of the cockpit. Regarding the call-out of positive rate versus positive climb after takeoff before retracting the landing gear, at my airline, positive climb was always the call-out until a few years ago. We merged with some airline from Texas. I can't really remember the name of them now, but their call-out of positive rate carried over in the merger, and that's what we use today. I think positive climb was a holdover from the old days when the vertical speed indicator would indicate a positive climb when you're really close to the ground even though you weren't really climbing. I don't think that's much of a problem today, so positive rate it is whether I like it or not. Well, I hope everyone is well. Cheers and happy trails. So long. Well, thank you, Captain Clarence Over uh, <laughs> from Transamerica Airlines. Great name. <laughs> America. <laughs> Love Frenchman. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, good point. Uh, thank you for adding your two cents yeah. uh, from your airline. I have to call myself out, by the way. Uh, I said uh, in the previous podcast that we called positive rate. Uh, and I think the full phrase used to be positive rate of climb, um, which is uh, we don't. We call positive climb. I went back and checked. Uh, what I say is positive rate, but what was, I was supposed <laughs> to say is <laughs> positive climb. So now I have re-educated myself as to the correct call. Wow. And it's a, no wonder those people are saying positive climb because yeah. they're supposed to say it. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> well, in, you oh, know, in, in positive rate doesn't necessarily mean that the airplane, when you look outside, is climbing away. I mean, we one of my big biggest pet not big pet peeve, but it's a pet peeve. When you look at the VSI and it's still showing a negative rate until until it gets above zero and starts climbing, that's positive rate. Not that the aircraft's starting to pull away from the ground. And I have some 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 guys I fly with say positive rate. I'm looking at it, no, we're not positive rate yet. You have you actually have to have VSI positive before you can call it, not not the aircraft off the ground. And you have to have your altimeter moving in a positive direction yeah, as well exactly but you know i'm probably one of those guys he doesn't like fine with i'm looking outside i can see we're climbing away that's positive rate to me not in our book not in the book okay. exactly uh, uh robert from well. <laughs> robert uh, uh gave us some uh feedback some audio feedback actually video feedback but uh we're just going to hear the audio because uh it's just too much of a hassle to figure out how to play the video with this particular setup so take it away robert so uh good morning uh apgers uh from sfo um was up a little bit early so i figured i'd walk over to the park and staying here at the weston here on a business trip so i flew atl lex oakland saved the company a little bit of money and I'll uh, post some pictures. I guess the most eventful part, there was an alleged VIP on my flight from Atlanta to LAX. I uh, upgraded up front, and this VIP's uh, children uh, decided to make romper room of their uh, seats. Um, flight attendant said that uh, if the uh, seatbelt sign is not on, uh, they can do what they want to. Uh, I think my mom would have been mortified. Uh, but anyhow, um, I'll post some uh, pictures and video of the uh, the airport. Uh, just got a, a United 757 and just took off. 
a little more uh, louder engines out here. Um, it's been a good visit uh, so far. Be here the rest of the week. It looks like I just missed Nick, who was in last weekend. And uh, what is that? A, a two Virgin flights about to take off back there. Uh, Virgin America. By the way, uh, what we're missing here in the video is he's uh, behind him uh, is the airport, and you can see the uh, runways uh, behind the airplanes taking off and such. Uh, before they get assimilated into Alaska. But uh, keep up the work. Uh, again, sorry, Nick, I guess I missed you by a day or two being out here in San Francisco. And uh, happy travels to everybody. And also, um, the next hurricane coming in, Irma, does not look to be good. So uh, uh, safe travels. Hope everybody is well with that. Thanks. Yeah, this has been in our feedback folder for a little bit. I think this is one of the pieces that were uh, hiding from me with the little technical snafu with the feedback. Um, but uh, as I said, we're we're getting to it and clearing it all out. Thank you, Robert, for uh, sending us the uh, the video feedback from your uh, whirlwind uh, west coast uh, trip and uh, that was a very good uh, uh, comment there considering it was talking about the hurricane yeah <laughs> and uh, next time in i'm in san fran I'm, I'm not allowed to call it san fran am I? but next time in there robert let's uh, try and hook up right but he's actually uh he actually lives here in marietta in the Atlanta area. Oh, I meant so. Atlanta, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, he just happened to be <laughs> out there on the West Coast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, and who knows where he is? I don't know. He doesn't even know. Somewhere. Somewhere about that. We were talking about uh, turbulence announcements uh, on a previous show. Bill uh, said, I'm feeding my APG syndrome and catching up on old episodes. How about some sort of a sound effect? to get passengers' attention when you're making a safety announcement like turbulence. I think of the old buzz, buzz, buzz they used in the 1970s weather warnings on television and the radio. Oh, yeah, some of those really obnoxious sounds when you're trying to watch something and all of a sudden the little crawler comes on the bottom of the screen. That's my best impression. Sorry. Um, I'm also, uh, it sounds actually much worse than that, if you can believe it. Um, I'm also, uh, I'm also good with the pilot just doing a high pitch. We're all going to die at the start of the announcement. Wow. Just trying to get the passenger's attention. Yeah. That, that one, Bill, I don't think, I don't think management would be very happy with us if we did that. Uh, too much spilt <laughs> champagne. But I do, you know, that awesome or awesome, that awful sound that uh, like when they do the test of the emergency broadcast system, uh, I don't know if you have the same kind of uh, uh, sounds coming emanating from radio and TV as we do here in the States when the companies do their once per week or once per month requirement to uh, do a test of the emergency broadcast system. But it's really, really annoying and uh, it does get your attention in a in a bad way. Well, for me, it would be the BMU's warning, which I'm trying to think of. It, I think it stands for ballistic, uh, beam, ballistic monitoring early warning system. It used to happen in the RAF bases when they we got the in inverted commas four minute warning. And uh, if this thing went off for real, if there was an airplane around, you just jumped into it and got airborne. Yeah, well, no, that not everybody uh, can do that. For many people, yeah, it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of specialized. <laughs> you know, I could just see that uh, playing on a television or something in your house, and then some. Then 
Jilly looking around saying, does anybody know where uh, Nick went? <laughs> yeah, I think he's running outside trying to find an airplane. <laughs> First, he's going to hop into his helicopter in the backyard. Go find the airplane. There you go. There you go. Oh, you know, before you know it, he'll be uh, traveling in his, uh, you know, passenger, uh, what do you call it? Drone, uh, helicopter, uh, they, octocopter yeah. drone. Uh, that'll be all automatic there. That's no fun at all. I, I actually true. think 240 volts through the bottom of the seat is the best way to get. The <laughs> I'm old school. We've had some, we've had some problems with that system <laughs> where uh, accidentally electrocuted some people, but you know. But that was the idea. Overall, <laughs> it's a good. <laughs> that definitely gets your attention. And speaking of getting your attention, it's time now for this week's installment of Plain Tales Against All Odds. The Old Pilot's Plain Tales Against All Odds Uguayan Air Force Flight 571 was a flight chartered by the Old Christians rugby team from Montevideo that would take them to Santiago in Chile to play a match. They left Carrasco International Airport on the 12th of October 1972 in a Fairchild FH-227D twin-engine turboprop. But poor weather over the Andes prevented them from attempting a crossing that day, so they landed at Mendoza in Argentina to wait for conditions to improve. The next day, the aircraft took off to continue the journey. It hadn't been an easy decision since the weather wasn't much better, but the pilots agreed to try. In part, remembered Madelon Rodriguez, because we put pressure on them. On board were five crew and 40 passengers, made up of players, club members, friends and family, all of whom had shared the cost. The team were veterans from their old school, the Christian Brothers College, and they had been friends for years. The mood on board was good. Old rugby mates together, laughing, joking and singing, as young men do. The Fairchild wasn't able to fly over the Andes, which rise to around 23,000 feet, so the pilots plotted a course which took them south until they reached the Pass of Planchon, which they could use to safely cross. About an hour after takeoff, the pilot notified air traffic that he was over the pass and, shortly after, that he had reached Curico, about 110 miles south of Santiago, and was turning north to head for the city. How the captain misjudged his position is unknown. Perhaps an unexpected headwind or a misreading of a beacon misled him, but based on their reported position, air traffic cleared him to descend. Shortly after, radio contact was lost. Unbeknown to everyone, the Fairchild was 55 miles from its reported position, still deep in the Andes and descending into cloud whilst over the mountains. The aircraft clipped a peak just below 14,000 feet, severing the starboard wing, which was thrown back with such force that it cut off the vertical stabilizer, leaving a gaping hole in the rear of the fuselage. 
the aircraft then struck a second peak, which severed the port wing and left the aircraft as just a fuselage flying through the air. One of the propellers sliced through the body of the aircraft as it broke free. The fuselage hit the ground and slid down a steep mountain slope before finally coming to rest in a snowbank. Robert Canessa was a 19-year-old medical student who was on board. He remembered that the engines were at full power when they struck the side of the mountain. There was a shattering explosion and the hideous sound of tearing metal as the aircraft was tossed into a sickening, spinning descent. The fuselage hit the snowy mountain side and careered down it like a crazy toboggan. He gripped his seat, waiting for oblivion. But it never came. When the aircraft came to a violent halt, it ripped his seat from the floor, forcing it into the one in front. The whole line of seats piled up against the cockpit door, but Roberto was still alive. After the dramatic post-crash silence, he started to hear the moans and cries of the injured, along with the stink of aviation fuel. Looking around, he could see that the body of the aircraft had been torn open. Indeed, the tail section was missing entirely, and he could see mountains all around. There was a blizzard that was whipping everything around and lashing him with cold. Like shadows from another world, other survivors started to appear. Heads and hands were moving amongst the tangle of seats and wreckage. He turned around to see his old friend and fellow medical student, Gustavo Zabino, emerge, also amazingly unharmed. They moved together through the mangled fuselage, trying to see where they could help. Many had lost their lives. Others were horribly maimed and injured. The cold was appalling. From the comfortable temperature in the cabin, it was now 10 degrees below zero Fahrenheit, over 20 below in centigrade. They rummaged through the luggage, looking for jackets and sweaters to wear and T-shirts to use as bandages. They did their best to treat wounds, feel for pulses and console the other survivors, but darkness quickly fell. Occasionally they used a lighter to see, but they were terrified of igniting the spilt fuel. Hands covered in the blood of the dying, Roberto curled up in a corner to sleep. In the morning they assessed the situation. Twelve had died in the initial crash and a further six succumbed to their wounds overnight. Twenty-seven were left alive to face the near-impossible task of surviving in this hostile environment, many with severe injuries. The pilot had already died, and the co-pilot died the next day. He did his best to describe where they were, but of course his estimation was grossly wrong. The altitude and the cold was debilitating, every physical effort exhausting. But some of the survivors were from the rugby team, fit young men who worked hard to survive. Apart from what clothing they could salvage from the luggage, there wasn't much help in what was left of the aircraft. A few chocolate bars, snacks and bottles of wine which they pooled. Despite being surrounded by frozen water, without a way to melt it, they might as well have been in a desert. 
It was Philo Strauch who devised a way to melt the snow by warming metal in the sunlight and dripping the water into used bottles. They found a little transistor radio and listened to news of the rescue attempts being made. They occasionally heard and saw aircraft flying near, but the white fuselage of their aircraft buried in the snow was near invisible. They tried laying out luggage in a cross and trampling SOS in the snow, but the days passed and nobody came. Tragedy mounted on tragedy. Fernando Parado had been travelling with his mother and little sister, and he lay in a coma, but eventually he came around to discover that his mother hadn't survived the initial crash and his sister was badly injured. He nursed her in his arms until she died a few days later. The hardest thing to me, he said, was burying my mother and sister with my own hands in the ice. After eight days of misery, cold, pain and death, the survivors listened with horror as the authorities had decided to give up the search. On hearing the news, many began to sob and pray, all except Parado, who looked calmly up at the mountains. As the hopelessness of the situation enveloped them, they were angry when Gustavo Nicolic shouted that it was good news. Why the hell is that good news? someone asked angrily. Because it means that we're going to get out of here on our own, he replied. One of the reasons that this accident remains such a strong memory for those of us who have heard the story before is because of what happened next. Even with strict rationing, their food stock dwindled quickly. There was no natural vegetation or animals in the snow-covered mountain. The group survived by collectively deciding to eat flesh from the bodies of their dead comrades. This decision was not taken lightly, and it caused much friction, as most of the dead were classmates, close friends, or even relatives. As Fernando explained, at high altitude, the body's calorific needs are astronomical. We were starving in earnest, with no hope of finding food, but our hunger soon grew so voracious that we searched anyway, Again and again we scoured the fuselage in search of crumbs and morsels. We even tried to eat strips of leather torn from the luggage. Again and again I came to the same conclusion. There was nothing here but aluminium plastic, ice and rock. All of the passengers, living and dead, were devout Roman Catholics, and there were several with deep reservations. Some rationalize the act of necrotic cannibalism as similar to the ritual of Holy Communion. Others remembered the verse, No man hath greater love than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. The alternative was effectively suicide through starvation, in itself a mortal sin. In addition to the deep moral dilemma, the physical act of cutting up the bodies of friends and loved ones was traumatic beyond belief, let alone the actual consumption of the raw meat. 
in an attempt to make it more palatable, they left strips of flesh out on the aircraft fuselage to dry. As if they hadn't suffered enough, 15 days after the accident, another disaster struck. They were preparing to spend another night in the shelter of the aircraft when an avalanche descended down the mountain, and with devastating force it poured into the open end of the fuselage, burying all those who were lying down. The ones who were safe desperately tried to dig their friends out, but eight had suffocated, crushed under the snow, leaving only nineteen alive. With their strength waning, dirty, unkempt, and in desperate straits, the fittest amongst them started to look for a way down from their mountainous trap. Despite not having proper equipment or clothing, they started to look further afield and eventually found the tail of the fair child. In that was some more luggage, food and bodies, and some more materials they might use. Batteries were found and connected to the aircraft radio, but not realising that they needed alternating current, that was unsuccessful. However, at least the transistor radio they had still worked, and they heard that a C-47 from the Ukrainian Air Force had renewed the search. Great news! The search aircraft had seen a cross. Surely it must be the one that they laid out near the crash site. They waited eagerly, only to have their hopes dashed again. The cross that had been seen was one made by a team of meteorologists. Having crashed on the 13th of October, it was now well into December. Their supply of cadavers to consume was almost gone, and they were all in dreadful physical condition. Snow blindness, poor nutrition, lingering injury, mental and physical fatigue had all taken their toll. There had been more deaths, and arguments, and despair threatened to engulf them. However, two friends felt sure that they could survive an attempt to walk out. Fernando Parado and Roberto Canessa had been trying to climb nearby ridges to look for an escape path, putting aside the difficulty of walking through waist-deep snow without proper equipment and the problems of exertion at high altitude in their weakened state. They still managed to climb some of the high ground surrounding them, but all they saw were fields of fearsome mountains. It was apparent that the only way out was to climb the mountain to the west, but without a way to survive the appalling cold at night, they knew they would soon die. They made a crude sleeping bag from the aircraft insulation that they were able to recover from the tail section, and Fernando Parado, Antonio Vizintin, and Roberto Canessa began to trek up the mountain. The thin air made it almost impossibly hard for them, but at least they were able to survive the nights, if not sleep. They struggled upwards for three days, but on reaching the summit at over 15,000 feet, they saw that they were still tens of miles from the green valleys of Chile. Parado felt sure he could see a small Y in the distance that might be a way out, but it was going to take much longer than they had prepared for, and they didn't have enough food. They sent Vizentin back to the crash site and carried on without him. 
Parado and Canessa hiked for several more days. First, they were able to reach the narrow valley that Parado had seen from the top of the mountain, where they first found the start of a river. This they followed until they reached the edge of the snow line, and then, for the first time in months, they were able to sleep through the night. Gradually, they started to see evidence of human presence, and finally, on the ninth day, they saw some cows. That evening, as they gathered firewood, they saw a man on a horse riding on the other bank of the river. They tried to shout over the rushing water, kneeling and imploring, and they weren't sure that they had been understood, but the man shouted back, Tomorrow. He returned the next day with a loaf and a rock wrapped with paper and a pen. Whilst the starving men ate, they wrote about the crash and asked for help. The Catalan read the message and signed that he understood. With news of where the survivors were, a rescue was soon organised. Helicopters were dispatched to the crash site, but initially only half of those still alive could be picked up. The rest spent yet another night of discomfort, but eventually on December the 23rd, after 72 days, the last 16 survivors were brought to safety. The aftermath of such a traumatic event was distressing, particularly when the rumours of cannibalism started to leak out. Some tabloid papers were damning, but generally it was understood what an appalling decision it must have been and how much the survivors fought their consciences before making the awful choice. The Catholic Church eventually announced that the men had all been absolved of any sin, and the collective decision to write their own story in full helped. So when the book Alive was published, it did much to sway public opinion. The rescuers and a Chilean priest later returned to the crash site and buried the bodies of the dead, not far from the aircraft. Close to the grave, they built a stone pile surmounted by a large iron cross, upon which is written, Close, O God, to you. Music for today's Plain Tales from bensound.com Very appropriate music for that tragic story. I remember... uh, Seeing the movie, I didn't read the book, but I saw the movie, and that must have come out back in the 70s. Is that right? Yeah, the, the that's right. Yeah. Yeah, because it was a long time ago, and I remember, you know, it got a lot of, um, you know, press because of, it was just, you know, such an outrageous. You know, anytime you talk about cannibalism, uh, it's just like, what? Yeah. You know, that's. Uh, yeah, well, it, and you, it's such a taboo. And then, particularly when you're talking about people you knew so intimately as well so i can't imagine you know i don't know has anybody here and listening to this ever been so hungry 
that that would even be a consideration. I mean, I think because we <laughs> we live such um, uh, comfortable lives, you know. I think it's. I mean, for me personally, I can't think of how hungry I'm. I had. I would have to be to consider eating the flesh of another human. Yeah, there were guys there who very quickly lost over forty kilos in weight. Uh, was that um, close on 100 pounds, 80, 90 pounds in weight? Wow. Uh, so, you know, th- there were people who were walk- literally walking skeletons up there, and they knew they, they, would, they were going to die if they didn't do something. It was- I would suppose that did, did some of them just refuse yeah. to, well, uh, to do it? In particular, and- there was one lady who was very devout, uh, and she only um, agreed right at the very end, but she had more or less left it too late because, uh, you know, she passed away uh, before she could really consume enough to keep her going. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and what's more, it was the aftermath of it, really, uh, because it became sensationalist and it became uh, something for people to discuss and, and pick over. Whereas these poor folks, they only really had one decision to make. You know, were they going to stay alive or were they going to die on that mountain? So for them, it was actually quite a, you know, although I'm sure they they spent a long time trying to make that decision. For them, you know, once it was made, then, you know, it's just stay alive. And I think they all had an enormous um, will to stay alive. Uh, which included the two guys who walked out and say it took them nine days. They were crossing mountains, snow fields. They were up at a terrible uh, altitude. They had no proper equipment, uh, and yet they managed to survive that incredible journey. And the people back at the camp had no idea whether they had made it or not. They were, you know, they just walked out and disappeared. And and it wasn't till over nine days later when they eventually got. Uh, and the message through that the rescue helicopters arrived. I can't imagine what that would have felt like. And then, of course, they had to face society with um, this sort of background of what they'd done to stay alive. Right. I'm sure they had, you know, a lot of shame uh, for it. But uh, unless you're in their shoes, it's really hard to fault them for what they needed to do to survive. Exactly right. Uh, you know, I can't imagine how how just incredibly depressing it would have been when you when you heard the airplanes in the distance and everything, and then you're listening to your transistor radio and you hear them report that they've called off the search for good. You know, it's like, <laughs> no, yeah. we're still here. We're still alive. And I guess probably a lot to do with the fact that this was a rugby team. So these uh, were, you know, pretty uh, physically fit specimens. I would imagine that that uh, a lot of, uh, you know, general or average passengers wouldn't have made it half as long as, as the, this group did. No, no, I think you're probably right. And they had, they had a good level of leadership as well, although some of the guys who'd done the most to, um, you know, encourage and support and keep everyone together and keep their mental state high, considering they were up there for 72 days, uh, was one of the ones that died before they were rescued. So, uh, you know, they, they had a lot of trauma, not just what I've been able to explain. It's an amazing story. If anyone uh, hasn't read the book, I would thoroughly recommend it. And it's uh, alive? That's exactly right, yeah. Okay. Excellent. Uh, you know, <clears throat> we see the, we say this every episode that you have a plain tales, which is pretty much every episode. And, uh, and it, again, beautiful job, a beautiful storytelling. And, um, the way you told this particular 
incident uh, really it almost seemed different to me than the story that I knew and the movie that I saw in the past. So thank you. Well, just imagine imagine how long I would have kept everybody alive if I was the pilot. <laughs> I would have fed. I would have fed them all for six months at least. Doom, bam! <laughs> Very good. Where is my rim shot? Darn it! Yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, I, just had, man. I had to add some humor in there. No, no, no. We need to yeah. get it back yeah. to an even kill. Yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of a depressing story. It is. It, yeah, truly, it, it truly is. And then, of course, you know. Anyways. Continue. I was going to say, well, after listening to that, I'm really hungry. Okay. I'm right here. Um, (laughs) uh, Have this. Now, you know, I don't know if you're going to recognize this guy's voice or not, but let's uh, let's take a listen. I am in L.A. right now. I got in from um, Anchorage yesterday. No, actually this morning. Flew from Anchorage to here. And um, now I'm in L.A. about to hop on a Lufthansa flight from here to Frankfurt the flying and so um yesterday or this morning i saw um basically what michael o'leary had said about you know pilots having an easy job and the fact that long-haul flying is a lot harder compared compared to short-haul flying and i'm sure a lot of you saw the tweet i put out um addressing that very issue um so i've done both i did short-haul flying and long-haul flying and i can tell you from personal experience and all you short haul pilots out there, you know, flying the seven threes and the three twenties and the Mad Dog and the smaller type aircraft can certainly attest to this. It's not the length of the flight that is the taxing part, although that is taxing as well. It's the number of variables that you have to deal with um when it comes to flying that type of operation. So I remember when I used to do, and short haul flying, you know, just, you know, flights between, you know, half hour to an hour to hour and a half, you know, the, the shorter type of flights. I remember I used to do, you know, Quito to Guayaquil quite a bit in South America, or I used to do a lot of um, Sao Paulo to Rio de Janeiro uh, down in Brazil. And these are, you know, 30, 45 minute flight sectors from wheels up to touchdown. And, um, I mean, you're talking about having to deal with all the flight preparations, not the flight planning because the, the dispatcher takes care of that, but, you know, loading of the flight plan, assessing of the weather, fuel conditions, all the passengers, the taxiing out, the congestion, the climb out, en route environment, the descent planning, the approach, the landing you know, taxiing in, and then doing it all over again. Yeah, the flight might have been half an hour, but you put a lot into it. Uh, long-haul flying is easy by comparison. It really is. Um, so, yeah, Mr. O'Leary, you have it twisted, sir. Um, anyway, that's my two cents on that. Um, I'm going to be doing a lot more of these. Um, to kind of fill you guys in on what's going on. And uh, this is a quick little trial balloon. Uh, just reach out to me and I guess try to, you know, ask me or, or tell me what it is that you'd like to hear about and I'll 
try to uh, please. And uh, that is it. Hope you all are doing good. And uh, keep following me. Take care. Glad to see you all. Bye. Okay, so now you heard him. This was, uh, if you follow him on Twitter, that's Miami underscore Rick. Again, Miami underscore Rick. And follow him there. And he this was a little Periscope uh, video that he put out. He was sitting at the Los Angeles International Airport in some kind of a public area. And uh, he took time to take the iPhone out and record this uh, for those who follow him, not specifically to the airline pilot guy uh, community and, and listeners. But um, if you like it and you want to hear more from Rick, at least in this way, uh, please uh, send him a message, Miami underscore Rick. Let him know that you loved uh, the, uh, you know, hearing from him on the APG show and, uh, Perhaps that will give him motivation to do a lot more of these. You know, we'd rather have him on the show with us in person as uh, one of the co-hosts. But, uh, you know, we'll take whatever we can get. Absolutely. So thank you for your perspective. Uh, now, of course, you know, he, he said, uh, you know, the short haul flying is very fatiguing. But again, you know, he said, I don't know if I could make a blanket statement saying that it's definitely easier all the time. I mean, there are certain aspects of long haul flying, which for me makes it more difficult, you know, going through all the different time zones and doing a lot of, uh, you know, behind the, or, uh, the, uh, what's the term? The, um, other, the wrong side of the clock. Uh, that's not the term. What's it called? Uh, backside. backside of the clock. Backside. Thank you. That's it. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, um, I, I think each kind of flying has its own, pluses and minuses and uh but to discount as michael o'leary did all short haul flying is just a piece of cake is uh, i think a mistake so glad to hear miami rick's um opinion and perspective yeah i think o'leary's assessment is a poor assessment for a man who runs an airline yeah well you know it's not the first time nor the last that we'll hear people that run airlines have no clue whatsoever uh, you know, about many of the uh, various employee groups and what it is and what it takes to do that job well. Yeah. Well, you know, there's internal and external customers. And he's forgetting that, well, the external and also the internal customers. He's just forgetting all about, about them. Then. Yeah, it's, you know, being a leader, um, it, you know, it's, it's one thing to be the head of a company or a founder of a company or whatever, and, and you have skill doing that. But it's quite another to be a, a, a true leader and uh, somebody who uh, its employees want to uh, follow and do the best job they can because they value uh, their their leader and leadership. And uh, I think that, you know, there are many, many examples of good and bad leaders in history and, and especially in the airline industry as well. Uh, we have a lot of examples of bad leadership here in our country, the U.S., so uh, past and present. All right. Um, let's see. First Officer Craig sent us in some audio feedback. We were talking about diversions uh, on a previous show, and uh, he wanted to send in his uh, perspective. 
Hey APGers, Captain Jeff, Captain Nick, Dr. Steph, Captain First Officer Dana, this is FO Craig here. This is in response to episode 289 with the discussion about diversions. Um, this past Saturday, September 16th, I was oper- operating a flight for uh, Acme Jr. from Minneapolis to Newark. Beautiful weather all over the country, so it wasn't really... Uh, weather related so we didn't even have an alternate listed on our flight plan in our dispatch release um but we had about 13 or 14,000 pounds of fuel total 500 of that was probably taxi we had uh probably eight or nine thousand that was just our regular burn and um about 1400 pounds of that was for holding fuel and we didn't have any alternate fuel and i'm not sure if we had any extra fuel um but on the way to newark uh most of the flight was pretty smooth sailing no issues but as we were approaching slate run for the williamsport 3 arrival into newark we started hearing on the radio that they were dishing out holding instructions so uh we asked atc and they allowed us to pull our speed back in preparation for the holding so we pulled it we were going about Mach 0.78 at the time we pulled it back all the way to about 215 210 knots um we're uh 0.78 for us at 350 which we were at the time was uh probably just over 250 knots or so but we brought back down to 210 and uh started slowing up and started uh doing our calculations of how what our bingo fuel would be and how much we would be able to how long we would be able to hold and we finally got our holding instructions to hold as published on a slate run on the Williamsport three arrival and 20 mile legs and we had an efc time of about 40 minutes so we did about two complete turns in the holding pattern then uh atc vectored us on the outbound down uh wind leg of the hold and said that we were up next to go back into newark so uh they took us 15 20 miles past the hold uh our original holding pattern and then brought uh cleared us direct slate run in the williamsport three in the newark which we did and then in that instance we picked our speed back up because we figured we were going in wouldn't have any issues and um about two or three radio sectors down we were talking the new york center new york approach at this time and they were telling us to hold uh or telling us to expect holding again in a few miles and so we slowed it back up again and we were doing some quick calculations and didn't really think we were going to be able to hold at that point or hold for very long and as we were holding previously over slate run, the captain and I were uh, doing some talking with each other, some planning and talking to dispatch and trying to get a alternate uh, diversion airport ready just in case we would have to divert. Because if we didn't have enough fuel to make it to Newark, we would need to divert elsewhere. And at first the captain mentioned uh, Syracuse, New York, which is relatively close and along the way and um so we were thinking that and then we were telling dispatch and dispatch came back with downtown pennsylvania and i went in our jepson charts and looked at the company charts 
on there and it said that uh, all excuse me Allentown only does American ops they do not do any United ops which was the code share we were flying for so I mentioned that to the captain and he mentioned that to dispatch and so that was kind of out of the plan but then we came up with Philadelphia because it's only a hop skip and a jump from Newark and kind of along the way and the weather was fine it was just the congestion in the New York area that is why we were holding so we picked Philadelphia as our alternate and the second time when uh, New York Center was telling us to hold they gave us our holding instructions and with our bingo fuel we had calculated to bug out to Philadelphia um, if we were to hold it for as long as ATC was expecting us to hold we were not going to be able to make it to Newark so we told them unable and that we would like direct present position to uh, Philadelphia uh, because of fuel reasons and they obliged and gave us uh, direct uh, um, a fix it was either bunts or dents or something along those lines right around the Philadelphia area which kind of set us on a base for uh, the two sevens the runways they were landing at the time and so uh, we uh, diverted to Philadelphia and landed with I'd say four or five hundred pounds above our uh, min fuel uh, which for us is uh, 2660, 2660 pounds. We landed with about, I think, 31 or 3200 pounds, um, which doesn't really get your heart beating as, uh, as fast as one might think, but we were still uh, just glad we were on the ground and not had to deal with the holding anymore. And uh, yeah, so that's just my recent experience with. Uh, diversions on alterns I know you guys talked about that the last episode just so I just wanted to share my uh, real-life experience that I just had this past weekend so uh, keep up the great work really enjoying the show and the camaraderie with everybody thanks take care bye bye fo Craig out thank you uh, Craig for your um, uh, relay relating that uh recent diversion uh, incident and you can see just from him telling uh, the, the story about how much is going on in that cockpit making calculations trying to you know foresee various outcomes and making the proper decisions etc and then I would say that you know he got us to where they were on the ground right diverting to Philly but actually <laughs> that's really uh, just beginning the whole story uh, a lot of times you know having to deal with a lot of uh, logistics on the ground for people that weren't really expecting you to be there and dealing with the passengers and allaying uh, concerns that they may have about connecting flights and everything else it can just <laughs> to me uh, especially uh, from a captain's perspective yes it's stressful uh, the events leading up to an, uh, diversion but once you've actually diverted then <laughs> that's when their headaches really start Absolutely. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Um, yeah. Particularly if it's not a, a convenient uh, diversion when you've just, you know, picked at the last minute because you've got a lot of choice. Yeah. And it's it's really easy to kind of just sit back and kind of breathe a big sigh of relief. And, you know, you've gotten everybody safely on the ground. You're not worried about running out of fuel. Uh, but then it doesn't take long before the uh, reality sets in. And now you have to really get to work getting the people where they need to be. 
Um, yeah. Uh, luckily, it's been a long, I shouldn't say this, you know, not that I'm stitious or superstitious, <laughs> but um, it's been a long time since I've had to divert. And uh, I think that airlines, especially uh, the airline for which Dana and I fly, has been doing a really good job. And I think all airlines in general of um, kind of planning things a little bit differently and doing um, certain things to ensure that you're not going to have to hold anywhere. Um, and of course the FAA is a lot responsible for this as well. And uh, you know, just not even, you know, taking off into until it's the proper time so that they can handle all the traffic and everything. Cause there's always unforeseen circumstances and the kind of flying that Nick does the long haul stuff. Uh, it's almost sometimes almost impossible to really make any uh, plans as far as, uh, you know, taking off later or earlier to time it just right because these flights, these long haul flights are just so long in duration that, you know, you really can't uh, plan for so many things. So um, you pretty much just with that kind of operation, Nick, I guess you just kind of launch at your normally scheduled time and just hope for the best and, and have enough fuel to go somewhere else if you need to? Yeah. The number of times that the forecast has changed during your flight and what was going to be an appalling situation has moderated or not nearly as bad as you expected when you get there. So you can't really afford to cancel out uh, unless it's something really severe like the arrival of a, uh, a typhoon or a hurricane or uh, whatever. Um, yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah. Very rare do we preemptively cancel, but so it does actually mean you end up carrying a lot of gas and you could end up somewhere very weird in <laughs> the flight instead of where you hoped. Oh, you hear that? I think that means that we've just gone over three hours. I don't know exactly. I just kind of looked down at my watch when we started uh, the show yeah, earlier. getting close. But I think it's uh, awfully close to three hours. Um, I really do try hard to keep it to uh, under three hours, and I think we've done a pretty good job of that in the last few episodes, uh, around the two and a half to 45. The days when you used to say, I'll I keep it under half an hour. Yeah, uh, no, you don't. You don't remember those days at all. I, I barely remember those days when I was doing the dark show been myself. Back to episode number one, you know. <laughs> no, it's awful. Uh, as far as well, never mind. I don't think um, Je- I don't think Jeff has a concept of time. So <laughs> no, I don't. But you know, when when you're just one person talking, uh, you can you know you only have one perspective to share. So things you know you're able to do things a little bit faster. Um, but, um, I think it's much, a much more interesting show now that we have very, you know, different, uh, co-hosts with different experiences and different perspectives. And, uh, I think that that's, uh, you know, uh, the value in, in listening to this kind of format. Um, and, um, yeah, I, we're going to go, what do you think? A little bit longer. I don't want to infringe upon, uh, we're recording this on a Friday. Um, it was morning for, uh, those of us in the U S when we started, but it is now afternoon and it's now getting into the, uh, creeping into the evening hours for those of you, uh, uh in other parts of the world. Uh, and I don't want to, um, interrupt the PTUK plain talking UK. They're going to start their live recording in about a half an hour, I think is what they had originally scheduled. So I don't want to uh, infringe too much on them, but I would, if it was okay with you, dear listeners, uh, if we continue a little bit longer and maybe just this once or, well, yeah, let's crack out a little bit more of this uh, feedback, Jeff, because I would really like to, there's one here that I just think is just precious. Do it. 
do it, sir. Okay. And uh, this, uh, Nicholas and Jesus uh, both sent links to this, uh, one a facebook.com video and the other on YouTube. And uh, you really do, I'm going to play the audio, uh, audio of it, but you really, really do need to see the video because this kid here speaking uh, is, uh, is just uh, so precious and so cool. And uh, I kind when I was watching this and see if you don't agree with me, uh, I thought this must have been what Rick was like when he was this age. Bless you. Bless him. He knows a lot, huh? Everything. Also, some planes have a ram air turbine. A ram air turbine, Adam? Yeah. And what does that do? It gets emergency systems back on if the engines fail. Okay. Then the ram air turbine can help to bring back the systems. To bring back the systems to, to control the aircraft? Yeah. But due to the low engine power, the landing gear doors will not come up. Okay. Okay. After that, they, you have to do something else to lower the flaps. Oh, you have to do something else to lower the flaps? Yes. Okay. You have to lower them by gravity alone. Okay, okay. You have to drop the gear by gravity alone. Uh-huh. And if you have no hydraulics and your plane is banking right, you reduce the engine, you reduce engine one and increase engine two. Okay. Then the plane will go level again. Oh, wow. It's called asymmetrical power, yeah? Yeah. How old are you? Five years, 11 months. Get out of here. <laughs> really? No way. <laughs> I don't let me kiss Bless you. you. Bless you. You're so smart. My God, you'll Bless be you. like, what you gonna do actually when Mashallah. you grow up? Not pilot, but what, you, what do you no. wanna be? I will be a kid. I think they, that I didn't cut that off. Uh, it just got cut off right there. But I think, I thought he was about to say I, I want to be a captain. Um, but that I don't know for sure. But uh, this just goes to show you that uh, even a five-year, 11-month-old kid can fly an Airbus. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's not in an yeah, Airbus, just... though, is it? <laughs> it is an Airbus that they're in. Oh, really? So uh, what's interesting about it, again, you gotta re- you got to watch the video because you're going to see him. It's uh, The captain has the camera, and he's uh, pointing it at Adam, who is standing um, behind the center console between the first officer and captain's seats. And when he's talking and he's doing all these things about the gear and the flaps, he's actually touching the, uh, the, the, the control handles for all these things. This kid knows where the gear handle is, where the flap handle is, how to uh, deploy the uh, Ram Air turbine. Um, and then I thought it was really cute when the guy said, get out of here. And he, and he thought he really meant to get out of there. Oh, no. And he goes, really? He goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> I love it. I kept looking for my crickets button, though. I was going to play the crickets um, or rickets there uh, after a while. But uh, well, I love it. Anyway, uh, well, uh, O'Leary will probably employ him next week. <laughs> this kid's too smart for that. Oh yeah, yeah, probably, um, right. probably right. Yeah, deserves um, deserves better treatment at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does. Sure. Everybody does, yeah. really. Um, 
Yeah. So again, uh, you please do uh, take the time. I'll put the uh, link in the show notes, and you and you'll get a chance to see this. It's it just it's much more powerful when you actually see the video. Uh, but uh, just wanted to make sure I played that. That was great. Thank you, Nicholas and uh, Jesus, for sending in that uh, link to this video. Uh, incredible. I think one of them said, I just found my new hero or my hero. <laughs> Derek uh, writes in. He says, just a quick question. As I've mentioned before, I unfortunately missed your meetup at Farnborough last year due to nearly three hours trying to get out of one of the air show car parks. It was a nightmare. Are you planning another trip to Farnborough 2018? If so, I'm sure you would do another meetup. So hopefully I can attend this time. Thanks for the great show, Derek. Uh, well, if we do go uh, to Farnborough 2018, Derek, uh, we're not going to do a meetup because you know, we're, we, we, we tire of those things. <laughs> I mean, the reason that we go is to see the airplanes and eat the food. No, I'm just kidding. The reason why we go to Farnborough and uh, Pittsburgh uh, this this year uh, is really the 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 airplane and the demonstrations and all kinds of all that stuff is just gravy for us it's getting to meet you uh, members of the apg community that's why we go we go for the meetup and the drinking <laughs> absolutely i think that's um, reverse order <laughs> well yeah I, I had to i had to use some you know only joking yeah but uh i you know we i'll tell you this we here at the uh, apg crew have not you know, in our recent planning meetings, we don't have any planning meetings. Um, we do. We do. We, we have <laughs> we have not uh, specifically addressed and said, this is what we're going to do. But I think I can speak for almost everybody that I think it's almost um, a given that uh, this is what's going to happen next year, that we're going to be uh, in the uh, in the UK in July, I think. Uh, isn't that when this whole thing is... Uh, Yes, Lane, meetups are so boring. Um, and uh, and perhaps maybe even try to time it so that we can be there for both Riot and uh, and Farnborough. So we'll see. Uh, that's not an official announcement because uh, we really haven't gotten that far yet. But um, I, in my mind, I think that's what's going to be happening. And uh, if so, I, I, look, uh, I look forward to it. And uh, anything, am I correct about that, uh, Captain Nick, Dana? Um, is this the kind of the thing that we're all thinking? Well, I live here, so don't worry about me. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm not worried about you, but I want to make sure that you're going to be, hopefully you can be there with us oh, well, as you were that, last time. Yeah, that relies certainly on Acme Red, I'm afraid. We'll have to wait and see. Well, we're just going to have to start our letter writing campaign <laughs> now. <laughs> yes. Um, but as far as, uh, you know, formal plans, no, we don't have any formal plans yet. We haven't made, you know, reservations at hotels and all that kind of stuff. A lot, there is a lot of planning that goes on in this, uh, into this and, uh, no, we haven't, uh, really gotten that far with that yet. But, um, but if you're considering you know, being over for both air shows, then I'm bound to be around for at least some of that time. So yeah, count me in for sure. Well, so I hope that captain Nick is there because, uh, you know, we'll be able to stay at his house. Oh yeah, for sure. So. Of course. <laughs> and the, well, I've in, got a barbecue. So uh, Dana can oh, give me yeah. some lessons. Oh yeah. No, not really. Have I'm, to bring the, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I'll have to bring the green egg over. They have to ship it on Acme Red. <laughs> you, you'd have to ship it in a ship. I think. <laughs> no. That thing weighs like 2,000 pounds. No, it just takes me to lift it up. You know, I'm a big guy. So really? Yeah. Wow. You are a strong guy. About 170 pounds. It's not that bad. I cannot 
I cannot lift up that thing by myself. Yeah, it's it's. it's I've had to move it a few times, but uh, you know, it, to answer your question, Jeff, yeah, I would love to. Uh, I was very disappointed this year when uh, Pitts, Pittsburgh uh, wings over uh, Pittsburgh uh, the week it happened. Uh, I had previous plans going on a cruise, so I really missed out on that. I would like mm-hmm. to think that I can make Farnborough. You know, it's really going to depend on upgrade and what I, you know, how my schedule is going to look in regards sure. to that. But uh, oh, yeah. certainly. Uh, Certainly going to make an effort to get over there if if we if the the group does go over there. Yeah, I hope so too. And uh, you know, Rick had every intention of being there with us last year, but then he got hired by the new company, and well, the rest is history. So that's where we replaced him with that other thing. You know, we were talking about robots. Yeah, yeah. The uh, we think there's a robot so what, Rick there. Do you think that that uh, that bot that uh, we heard from in the uh, previous uh, audio feedback do you think that was pretty convincing it did sound a lot like uh, rick yeah it was as convincing as he ever sounded yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see oh uh, richard this is kind of administrative stuff you know talking about uh, future big meetup plans and stuff but uh, this one actually has to do with the actual um, mechanics of doing these shows and also uh, putting in um, nice stuff like timestamps. Uh, Richard Nash from uh, Derby UK says, or is it Darby? Would you say Darby? Darby, yes. Okay, Darby. Um, even though it's spelled with an E. Yeah, don't worry about you that. Brits are crazy. Okay, hi guys and gals. Love the show and all that. <laughs> but I have one request. I sense that Rich is a little irritated. Um, I listen to many podcasts, and my drive to work is only 20 minutes. My favorite part is the news, feedback, and plane takes. I think he means plane tales. And I'm sure you you used to. I'm sure you used to add timestamps next to each news item and feedback so I could find it easily. Could you add that in so I know where to skip forward to so that I can listen to the news items? Also helps when I want to play a particular play a piece for a friend, but it takes forever to skip forward and back trying to find it. <laughs> so. Well, Richard, I uh, I try to do that, um, but uh, editing these shows a lot. The work is just beginning for me after we end today's show. Um, it, it's uh, I spend hours, uh, at least twice as long as it takes for me to record the show, a minimum of twice the time to do all the editing and everything else. And I try to get those timestamps in there if I can, but sometimes in an effort to get the show out as quickly as I can, because I do want to make sure that. You know, the show doesn't stay in the can uh, very long before it's released because, you know, people want to hear it. They want to listen to us. And uh, so in an order to get it out in a an expedient uh, manner, sometimes I'll skip doing the extra uh, work of putting in the timestamps. So but perhaps maybe that is something uh, that uh, we can get some volunteer help with and uh, they can actually listen to the show, write down the timestamps and then, you know, correct the uh or update the show notes uh, so that, you know, I, I do want to make it convenient for everybody. And I do understand that many of you uh, only want to hear the the first part of the show or just the news and that's it. You know, there or some people maybe just want to hear the feedback. So uh, everybody's different. So I try to make it um, a good experience for everybody, but sometimes I just run out of time. So yeah, you've got that annoying thing to do called flying. Yeah, flying and in the life yeah. and stuff like that. But this show does actually take a big chunk of my time when I'm not flying. And uh, I, I, I do try. I'll, I'll certainly try, Richard, in Derby, UK. 
Um, I'm sorry that I disappointed you. Um, and uh, Stephen sent in some audio about his uh, recent job interview. And I, I'm sorry, Stephen, I don't think I have time. I think it's like 21 minutes. And we're already over three hours uh, by at, at least 20 minutes. So I'm going to put this into the next um, folder, the episode nine, 292 folder, if you don't mind, um, because I think that everybody would like to hear your experience in uh, your interview experience with this company. And uh, yeah, I think that that will do it unless you guys see something else in there that uh, you think I should cover before we end the show. No, I think uh, I think we've covered quite a bit today and it was a great show as always. So. Well, very quickly, my airline of the past uh, I love is British United Airways because my old, oh, you want to talk about that. my old okay, here we go. used to fly for them. So okay, uh, they were so, great so Nick. Nick is overriding. He's saying, okay, no, we're going to do this one. Okay. Eastern well, 401 is the, uh, the person who sent this in. And, uh, and what was the, uh, he writes or she writes, I'm not sure who Eastern 401 is recently. The reboot of Eastern airlines has the same fate as its predecessor and went out of business. Oh, really? Did Eastern airlines, the one that we just talked about earlier with uh, Pence on board, did they actually call it quits again? I don't know. I haven't, wow. heard, I haven't heard that. I guess they may have. Uh, this was sent to me by Eastern 401 on the 22nd, so maybe that happened and I just didn't see it. Huh. Anyway, so many of the airlines of my youth are gone. Eastern, National, TWA, Pan Am, Piedmont, just to name a few. My question for all of you is, what airlines do you miss seeing in the air and why? And then, Captain Nick, you just said, say again, which one do you really miss? British United Airways, BUA. They had a lovely, uh, they had VC-10s for a start. Which is oh, super right. aircraft, and they had a lovely uh, sandstone and pale blue stripes down the fuselage, and a big uh, sort of uh, flying tick logo on the tail. It, and BUA and it was a super airline. They had great service, some wonderful airlines, but they had to com- sorry aircraft, but they had to compete against uh, BOAC, and they were then a state airline. So that's nothing you can do very easily. So they eventually wound up. I think they were taken over by Caledonian, who were eventually taken over by British Airways. But they, yeah, I mean, you look at the consolidation charts of uh, all the airlines here in the U.S. and just like it makes you just like uh, your eyes hurt uh, looking at it. Um. How about you, Dana? Well, it's a little-known airline called Business Express Airlines. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Did you fly for them? No, I didn't, but that's where I got my start in the aviation business. That was my first job uh, as a customer service agent, and that's where my, my entire journey began. They were purchased by uh, AMR, American Eagle, uh, in the late 90s, and they're, they've since been dissolved, but I miss them. And, you know, when I talk about a, a, a national airline or a big airline, Eason would be my number one pick. I just loved the the way the L-1011 looked with that Eason paint job on it. So, Yeah, uh, Eastern, a great, great airline. Uh, Braniff, a lot of folks here in the U.S. remember that one because they had some really wild paint schemes. Um, let's see, National, I used to fuel, refuel, uh, National Airlines airplanes as it, as it came through, uh, uh, Mobile, Alabama, uh, their 727s, um, at which they eventually became part of Pan Am wow. and, uh, you know, have, uh, experience with, uh, you know, folks and, you know, uh, employees from Pan Am I've, I've worked with. Wasn't Mobile a uh, brand of petrol? I mean, 
Yes. Uh, mobile so you were sticking mobile. mobile and mobile, were you? No, mobile <laughs> and mobile are two different things. <laughs> oh, really? Not, spelled exactly the same. Sound, yeah, it didn't sound like yeah. two different things. No, not mo- <laughs> it's funny because uh, when you're from Mobile and people come in, they say mobile or mobile. You go, okay, obviously you've never been here. You don't know it's mobile. Uh, it took me a Probably while. Two years. Yeah. Well, they should spell it differently. Right? <laughs> uh, and also another one, Texas International. That was another little D, uh, kind of a low cost out uh, carrier that would come through Mobile and DC Nine. So I used to refuel them as well. Um, yeah. So many, so many great carriers out there that are just gone or got swallowed up by somebody else. Um, Yellow birds. You know what? The uh, the one that I uh, was just looking at the other day. I, by the way, Nick and uh, your. Uh, fantastic plane tales episode about the boeing uh 314 uh, flying boat and the uh captain ford and them getting stuck out uh in the middle of their trip heading down to uh, auckland new zealand when the uh, when uh, the japanese uh, attacked pearl harbor yeah uh, i i did actually buy that book and i actually read the, i mean this is like something i haven't done in decades oh, i wow. actually got a book started reading it and actually finished it and uh, it was that that good. That story was just so compelling to me. And uh, so I'm, I, I've always had a thing for flying boats. And uh, so I was looking through some things uh, regarding flying boats. I remember, I think one of the reasons why I, I have such a thing about them is that I remember as a kid going to Catalina Island off the uh, Southern California coast and Avalon Bay. And there was an airline I think at one time called Catalina Airlines and then another time called Avalon Air uh, that flew um, Grumman Gooses and also big one that they had. And the one that I remembered was the uh, Sikorsky VS-44A or something like that. It's like four engine, very much like that uh, Boeing 314 flying boat with four engines and maybe not quite as large as the Boeing, but – a big flying boat with big, you know, the big four engine, radial engine. Uh, anyway, and so I, I do miss that airline and seeing. Uh, would have been a great area era. Sorry, not area mm-hmm. to have been a captain. Eh? I just think. Oh yeah, that would have been just so cool. <sighs> Absolutely, absolutely. And you know what was interesting? I was reading the, some of the history on um, one of the airlines or one of the airplanes that they were flying, and one of them crashed in the channel between Southern California, uh, Long Beach, San Pedro, and um, Avalon Bay, Catalina Island. And it said it was uh, the uh, the captain was Captain Bob Hoover. Oh, and really? I'm thinking, what? <laughs> Bob Hoover? So I started going into Wikipedia trying to figure out. I don't. I think it was a different. Ah, uh, what Bob a show. Yeah, I was thinking, what? I didn't know that Bob Hoover worked for. You know, Catalina Airlines but flying, he wouldn't flying have crashed, boats. Would he? That's true. Yeah. yeah. I should have known better. <laughs> anyway, enough blabbing on. Absolutely. We've uh, been going three and so a half nice. hours. But Something to do over a beer next time we meet. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, Svend and uh, let's see, Stephen and uh, the rest of you uh, who have sent in feedback, we'll do our best to get to it on the next episode. And in the meantime, let's uh, point you over to the Airline Pilot Guy website. Uh, airlinepilotguy.com where you can find information about the community which is the best part of all of this uh, the uh, the crew uh, the coffee fund merchandise uh, oh and by the way I'm still working on the the plain tales feed this plain tales page 
Um, I'm having to wait until next month because I'm running out of room on the uh, uh, the audio file server because uh, I'm only allowed to upload a certain amount per month. And uh, so I've run out. Because they, they keep mounting up. <laughs> I know. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm working hard on it. It was it Actually, it was a lot more work than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, but I'm glad I'm doing you it. Because, that I thought that was going to no, be a it's, biggie. It, it's going to be a good, it's going to be worth it. And uh, so soon you'll be able, uh, able to actually go to the uh, Plain Tales page on the website. And uh, you can, uh, you'll be able to subscribe to the Plain Tales plain tales only feed in your podcast device and uh so you'll you'll get to hear the uh the wonderful uh nick uh, anderson uh, who's this and his yeah never heard of him uh, never heard of him so anyway I, I just wanted to let you know that i haven't forgotten about it i haven't that isn't a project that i've taken on and i've forgotten about because it was too hard i'm going to keep trudging through and hopefully in the next couple of weeks we'll have all that uh ready for you and uh, let's see, social media, Captain Nick, do you have any uh, uh, pointers? Yeah, on Facebook. We have a, a presence in Facebook, so look for facebook.com forward slash airline pilot guy. And you can find us on Twitter, and uh, our handle there is APG Crew. Exactly. And uh, we have these apps for your smartphones, uh, whether you have a uh, Android phone or an iOS device, an iPhone, uh, iPad, whatever, you can download the free app, no advertising, and it's all free, and you can listen to the show, watch the show, get uh, push notifications, etc. So um, uh, check that out. And uh, also uh, with social media, we have something called Slack, which is kind of the app that we use mostly for coordinating meetups and such in, uh, in the future. So uh, Hillel, why don't you tell us about that? APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan meetups and events. To get into the Slack team, please send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at HI11E1, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel at HI11E1, and see you in Slack. Thank you, Hillel. And until next time... Wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care. God bless. Goodbye, you wonderful people. Bye-bye. Good day. a good good pilot till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, I got I fly away
opinions expressed on the Airline Pilot Guide podcast may not represent the views, opinions, or policies of any airline, real or fictionalized, mentioned, implied, or accidentally slipped by any of the participants, guests, or feedback providers you may or may not have heard, may or may not believe you may have heard, on this or any prior episode of the Airline Pilot Guy podcast. It ain't Boeing, I ain't going.